Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. We said yesterday that it could be within a week. It didn't even take that long. Didn't even take that long. Less than 24 hours, less than 21 hours, because we got off the air yesterday at 3 o'clock and 6, let's see, uh, 45 minutes ago, Jim say the following. I would imagine that most of you are well aware of this, but I'm going to read it directly from X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Quote, after consultation with our medical staff, Anthony and those close to him, it has, been de- it has been determined that he will undergo surgery to repair his injured shoulder, which will end his season. Anthony is a competitor, and we know how difficult and disappointing this is for him and our team. We collected several medical opinions, and we felt this was the best course of action for his long-term health. We anticipate a full recovery, and there is no doubt Anthony has a promising future. In the meantime, I love the fight of this team, and I'm excited for the opportunity we have ahead of us. It starts this week with Cleveland, end quote. So Anthony Richardson's rookie season with the Indianapolis Colts has officially come to an end. Going on to, obviously it would be injured reserve, but going into surgery for the shoulder injury, the grade three sprain that he suffered against the Tennessee Titans. And as a result, Anthony Richardson now hands the keys over officially to Gardner Minshew, who will be the starting quarterback against a stout defense in the Cleveland Browns coming up on Sunday. Also, not in that game, Grover Stewart, who has been suspended six games for testing positive for a performance-enhancing substance that is banned by the NFL. Stewart making that announcement yesterday, uh, shortly after we got off the air, actually, when that came out. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion about that. We'll get into that as well. But happy Hump Day Wednesday to you. My name is Jake Query. Eddie Garrison is the CEO of the company here at Query and Company, and Jimmy Cook is the company president. And Jimmy is intently with his Batman shirt, radaring in on something on his screen right now. You are laser-focused. Just locked into what is going to be the final line of his rookie biography. 50 for 84, three touchdowns, one picked, was sacked seven times, even though that's slightly overinflated by the four-sack day in the opener against Jacksonville. QBR 45, quarterback rating 87.3, and his ability to run the ball, even though, again, we questioned in hindsight with the Monday morning quarterbacking of running him like that inside the own 25. It Can't take it back now, obviously. 25 carries, 136 yards. Five and a half yards per four touchdowns. He was at times as electric as you'd expect him to be with his ability to run the football and never looked overwhelmed by the moment. That said, I, like many Colts fans, would have enjoyed seeing more growth this year, more opportunities this year. And Jake, as you highlighted yesterday, it is a clearer picture for what will be a de facto rookie season next year in terms of what he can do than it was heading into this season, but all the same, it is still a rookie do-over in 2024 for him, which is frustrating, but ultimately sounds like this was the best way to prevent the likelihood of this injury occurring again. You know, I think that 
the proper course of action, truthfully, Jimmy, is to say, you know what? We saw enough there to be disappointed. <clears throat> excuse me. Disappointed by not seeing more uh, from Anthony Richardson because of the fact that he showed a lot of potential and reason to get excited. We saw enough to think that the Colts drafted a quarterback that indeed is going to be the staple and the center of the franchise for a long time. And the concern now is what this means for timelines and extensions of other players like we talked about yesterday. But we can't worry about that now. What is the focus and the worry is for the Colts now to play well, find out who else they have, and then come back next year and reset the deck with a healthy guy and see where we are and go for it. That's, that would probably be the proper course of action. What I would but, like- but, Jimmy, we are in Sports Talk Radio. Yes. We are the... We are the bartenders of a sports party every day from 12 to 3. And what do people do at sports parties? They talk about hypotheticals, situations, possibilities, what ifs, what could have beens, what will be's. And that's what we're going to do invariably and inevitably. But the important thing is, to your point, you saw from Anthony Richardson enough to know that it appears he is the guy. What we need to see now is for that to be stable and consistent once defenses have seen him on a regular basis and we now know that evaluation will not come for another 18 months what i would like to see done and there'll be plenty of time for this in the months to come there will especially be time for this when we get into february and march what i would like to see done is the colts take an approach that jacksonville did after trevor lawrence's rookie year and i know the circumstances were different trevor lawrence lost a rookie season because of incompetence and coaching Anthony Richardson loses the rookie season to injury. I get they're different, but in some ways, both of them had a much tougher time or a lack of true opportunities due to the situations around them. Can, what the can Jaguars, you imagine a year ago if on this show you would have said Urban Meyer was incompetence in coaching, what would have happened to you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Just thought I'd point that out. Uh, at, at least in the pro ranks. I'm not going to take away his college credentials. For but sure. at that, one of the great uh, college coaches uh, of all time. With, without a doubt. Right, like one of the most decorated, one of the most talented coaches of the collegiate ranks, didn't work out so well in the NFL. But what I want to see them do is take the approach Jacksonville did, and that doesn't mean all the same way, but in one key area, spend on offense in a way that's going to help your quarterback. If that means overpaying for one of your own internally, like Michael Pittman Jr., so be it. If that means overpaying for a free agent wide receiver, like a name we've mentioned in the show in the past, like T. Higgins, go do it. But this off season should be built around acquiring as many weapons as possible to make the de facto rookie do-over next year be as easy as possible for Anthony Richardson. I want to see aggressiveness out of this front office at skill positions that will help Anthony Richardson. And yes, locking down Jonathan Taylor now is part of that. That's, That's a check in the right column. But I need to see things in the passing game You still have Josh Downs, I get it. You're still kind of twiddling your thumbs, waiting to see what Alec Pierce is going to be. But Michael Pittman Jr. is up for a new deal. And ultimately, it's an interesting free agent class that is probably headlined by T. Higgins in terms of young wide receivers you could go get. So that's what I want to see. I know we'll dive into those weeds much deeper once the offseason actually arrives. There's still a game on Sunday. There's still plenty of games left on the schedule for this team to grow, for Minshew to show what he has. But ultimately... 
it's hard not to look ahead to 2024 and have a wish list of what you want to see done, and that's mine. I want upgrades for this offense to make his life easier when he comes back next year. Now, here's the thing. This is a franchise and a fan base that's been through a lot. You can go back. If we were to go back since 1984 when the Colts Mayflower trucks arrived, Jimmy, give me a year off the top of your head. Just spitball spitball me a year where you'd like Uncle Jake to give you a brief history lesson. Just go ahead. Just throw me a year. 1987. 1987. Excellent year. Thank you. I appreciate you bringing that one up. That's a good one because the Colts in 1987, it was thought that the Colts were in a rebuilding process and Jim Mercer said, no, I don't think so. And on Halloween night of 1987, Jim Mercer made a blockbuster trade for Eric Dickerson of the Los Angeles Rams. Sent Cornelius Bennett, who had held out because he didn't want to play for a dumpster fire franchise, to Buffalo. Sent Owen Gill, I think it was, along with that package to the Rams. There was a, It was a three-team deal that ultimately brought Eric Dickerson here. And everybody in Indianapolis said, hooray! We got a superstar. It was surreal, actually. Like, wait a minute. We have a star in Eric Dickerson showing up? And the Colts went on to because of the NFL strike that year where their quarterback Gary Hogaboom did not cross the picket line, uh, the Colts ended up winning the division because they won two of the three scab games and then went to Cleveland and got beat. And then a year later, they played on Monday Night Football again on Halloween and Eric Dickerson went off and and suddenly it was green pastures. And you had Hogaboom as a quarterback. You had Chris Chandler, who they drafted in the second round out of Washington that was showing promise. And finally, the the, the franchise found stability. And then Eric Dickerson got unhappy, and and Chris Chandler got traded, and Jeff George came in, and they traded away Andre Risen, and they traded away Chris Hinton, and it was back to like rock bottom again. And what are we going to do? And then Jim Harbaugh comes along and gives them just a, a pulse of life, and holy cow, here we are in the AFC Championship game. We're not supposed to be here. And then let's change coaches off of that, and let's go ahead, and Jim Harbaugh eventually is going to go to Baltimore, and we'll hand it over to Paul Justin, and now we're 0-10, and what are we going to do? And then Peyton Manning comes in, and you know the rest is history, right? My point being, there's always been topsy-turvy, for the most part, until the Manning era. So the first half of the the existence, or first 40% of the existence in Indy, came with topsy-turvy. And you, at that time, had to look for the silver linings amongst the darkness. That's what we are going to do today, Jimmy Cook. Yes, it's bad news that the Colts are losing their franchise quarterback, for the season. Not forever, but for the season. But there's always reason, as we do here at Query and Company, we find silver linings in the darkness. We find the rainbow amongst the rainstorm. That's what we do here. So rather than focus on the negative, which is Anthony Richardson being out for the year because he's having shoulder surgery, and rather than focusing on the negative because Grover Stewart's gotten a six-game suspension because he might have eaten meat that came from China that had supplements in it, we'll get to that later, maybe he was making them in his wings, rather than focus on the fact that they're getting ready to play one of the top defenses of the last 10 years in the NFL against a guy who really struggled against Jacksonville and throwing the football, rather than focus on those things, we celebrate here. We find silver linings amongst the darkness. And we celebrate anniversaries and birthdays. So let's go ahead and celebrate one of the great moments in Indianapolis Colts history that happened on this date. On this date in Colts history, eight years ago today, the vaunted, hated New England Patriots came to Indianapolis and came calling with the mastermind genius Bill Belichick who had worked in the lab to come up with a game plan to beat Chuck Pagano and the Colts. 
and the city held its breath and awaited and anticipated and was super excited about it. And then the Colts were like, they had some tricks up their sleeves themselves. They had things they'd worked on in the lab. They had a fourth down. Eight years ago today, this moment of football brilliance, the greatest play in the history of the game, took place right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Now we've got, on a fourth down and three, you got Griff Whalen ready to take the snap. He'll snap it, actually. Colt Anderson is behind him. And what in the world? Flag is down. Illegal formation. The whole right side of the line was not on the line of scrimmage. Offense. This penalty is declined. Trying to sneak it. There were three, four, five guys around two players. That was insane. I mean, you got a guy on either side of him. What are you doing here? I mean, they don't even try to run a play. They don't even try. I, I, we've seen a lot, a lot of bizarre stuff. I've never seen anything more bizarre than that. There is no greater wordsmith, perhaps, in the history of the media than Al Michaels. And when you render Al Michaels speechless with that play eight years ago today, it's the greatest play in the history of football. And we should celebrate it. We should celebrate in Indianapolis. Don't focus and dwell on the negative, right? We're optimists here. Don't, we're not cynics at all. We're straightforward. Don't focus on the negative of that. Focus on the positive and the brilliance of being able to celebrate today one of the greatest plays in the history of the NFL. And speaking of optimists, speaking of optimism about that, this is what we do here in Indianapolis with the Colts, which is beautiful. We take the worst play in the history of the National Football League. I know I said it's the best. It's really the worst. It was the most ill-designed play in the history of the National Football League. We take it here, and then when a flag is thrown, because everyone in the stadium knows that it's for illegal formation because there's like 15 dudes lined up on the side (laughs) three yards off the ball. When that happens, as optimists, we still think that there's a chance the penalty was on New England and we're going to get a first down out of it. Here's the Colts radio call from back then. This is a new formation, it looks like. The Colts are now getting everybody to shift for the Patriots. They don't know what they're doing here. Colt Anderson is under center. Colt Anderson waiting for the snap or no? He took the snap and got buried. I'm not sure what that was all about because that has just given New England great field position. There was a delay of game. Let's hope. Don't no. snap it. Delay no, of game. Illegal formation. The whole right side of the line was not on the line of scrimmage. Offense. This penalty is declined. The result of the play is first down for New England. Wow. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what we were doing there. I don't think anybody, Jim. Bob Lamey, Jim Sorgi on the radio network. Thought we'd have fun with it today because it was eight years ago today. Matter of fact, we might play both of those clips throughout the course of the day. Think about how much wood was chopped that week. That's Tons. the important part. Well, iron sharp, sharpens iron, mm-hmm. as you know, Jimmy. Yep. Um, so, with all of that aside now, 15 minutes into the show, let me tell you what we're going to do today. Ted Karras Jr. is going to join us to talk about the Marion Knights who continue to play good football on the west side of Indianapolis. Zach Kiefer going to join us at 2 o'clock. We'll talk about the NFL. And then former IU quarterback Chris Ditto had – This same surgery is Anthony Richardson, not once, but twice in college. And we're going to talk to him and kind of get his perspective. Not only, I'll probably ask him about IU football as well, because, you know, they got Rutgers this weekend and and things are kind of circling. I feel like most people are checked out on IU football itself. Um, I've been pretty clear about the fact that it is time for a change, no doubt about it. 
Um, but I, I think he can offer a really good insight about the shoulder injury. Um, and let's go back to that, Jimmy. Kidding aside and down to the brass tacks. This is disappointing about Anthony Richardson, but it is not a surprise. And I will give glimpse behind the curtain here. I might have mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. And I don't want this to sound like this is that we're like, you know, bloodthirsty media members. So this this came with some flippancy. But in the press box, you have in the seating order, at least in particular for that game against Tennessee. I was sitting there, John, which JMV, was sitting to my immediate right. Andy Sweeney of the morning, the wake-up call with KB and Andy was sitting immediately to my left. Um, Cameron, our engineer, was sitting next to him. And then Kent Sterling, uh, who most people are familiar with in the market, was sitting next to Cameron. When, When Anthony Richardson went into the tent and then came out of the tent favoring his shoulder and walked off, you know, we're all like anybody. You're like, man, that doesn't look good. And like, how long do you think he's out? And Mike Chappell, later I, I talked to also, and we were all discussing, you know, how long do you think he's going to be out? And we were all predicting. And I said, like, you know what, I'll, I'll say two to four weeks. And I think Andy said, like, four to six. Did anybody in the press box, just for speculation purposes, we know what it is now, so it doesn't matter, did you think it was collarbone? Because on TV at first, that was where my fear went. Is like, uh, yeah, oh, it's a I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think anybody knew, you know, all of that, right? You know, separated right. shoulder, right. I think, was probably the most common thing people said. Right. I thought he dislocated it just by the way it was hanging. Yeah, I mean, that's because he was favoring it yeah. down to the right, right? Yeah. So JMV, I will give full credit, and, and this goes from JMV and I just being probably grizzly veterans, right, of covering different injuries. But JMV, so where I said, okay, so how long do you guys think it's going to be? What what are we guessing? I think Chap said this JMV said this. Then later I was talking to Mike Chappell and he was like, man, it didn't look good. But JMV said, uh, I'll say initially they're going to say it's four to six weeks and then we're going to find out eventually he's going to miss the rest of the year. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. <laughs> I mean, total total gut. But you kind of had that feeling that if Anthony, if this same injury happens to I mean, I'm trying to think of Colts quarterbacks of of the of years past that were veterans that were just filling in because somebody was out for the year. Not Curtis Painter, but like a, like a veteran. Matt Hasselbeck? Matt Hasselbeck's a good call, okay? If this happens to Matt Hasselbeck, I don't know that they do the surgery. They maybe wait for it to organically repair because – and Hasselbeck himself maybe is like, I'm not going through surgery. I'm done in a year anyway. So I think a lot of the reason for the surgery – is not even necessarily because like his arm was falling off, but rather because he is a young enough player that you go ahead and you err on the side of extra caution to prohibit this from happening again. That would be my guess. Either way, though, the point being, he shut down and now it's Gardner Minshew's team. And my concern, and I look, I have been very clear about the fact that I respect that the heck out of Gardner Minshew's professionalism and his abilities. But at the same time, Jimmy, with Gardner Minshew, he is a bit of that donut tire. And the longer that he is playing, the more evident. You know, every quarterback has a, has a flaw. Every one of them. Every quarterback in football has a flaw. Peyton Manning had flaws. He wasn't very mobile. It, whatever, right? Some of those quarterbacks, they've got to play a ton of games before the flaws start to show or their flaws are so minimal in comparison to their 10 weaknesses that it's easy to mask it by by focusing on other strong areas. Backup quarterbacks usually, 
they have more than one flaw or their their overwhelming positive attributes are limited enough that eventually just the law of averages dictates that the flaw is going to be exposed earlier. And in Minshew's case, I think to an extent the, the flaw was exposed in Jacksonville in the fact that he didn't really have long downfield accuracy and at times he was rushing throws. But he can be a rhythm quarterback. He, there are things you can do with him. The thing that's going to be interesting now, Jimmy, is Shane Steichen, who is a guy that, that we know has been able to draw up plays and do things with mobile quarterbacks that have the run option as well. Now you you probably do come up with a more designed playbook towards the strengths of Gardner Minshew, which he theoretically may not have had before. But does this, in your opinion, Jimmy, how much does it alter now, not only the Colts' game plans going forward, but also your prognostication of what they are? I mean, I said at the very beginning of the year, and the reason I was pro starting Anthony Richardson is because that's what the year was about. The year was about his development, and if he happened to win games along the way, awesome. Now, again, I'm not saying now that he's hurt, the team's going to actively tank, but Jake, you mentioned how Minshew throughout his career, and I've said this before as well, and I said it on Monday, there's a best if bench by date attached to him. By that, I mean at some point in time to build off of the spare donut analogy, at some point you need to go get a real tire. Well, that's not an option this year. In years past, when he was in Philadelphia, it was a couple spot starts for Jalen Hurts, and you knew the primary quarterback was on the horizon. He was coming back. You knew it was only a certain amount of time for Gardner Minshew to actually be under center. You weren't stuck with him. The Colts are stuck with Gardner Minshew now for the rest of the year. There's not a point for this team to go out and try to get a different quarterback. There's not a point to see, in my mind, what like Sam Ellinger has because you kind of know what he is to some extent. And also, Anthony Richardson's your starter next year. So what this season now is, is it is about every other position player, how they develop and run in Shane Steichen's offense with a competent quarterback because that's what Gardner Minshew is. You look at his entire career, it's not filled with three, four interception games. That was a one-off. At least I'm willing to say it was this past week. Now it shifts towards not only what you get out of everybody in a Shane Steichen offense with Minshew at the helm, you look at Minshew not just as a Colt, but as a quarterback in the National Football League. Because one could make the argument, this is his last best chance to prove that he should be a starter in the NFL. It's not going to be here. It's going to be Anthony Richardson next year. There's no world where Gardner Minshew takes over the reins and is the starter of the Indianapolis Colts next season. But he could prove to somebody else that's kind of floundering and looking for an answer for another opportunity to be a starter. That's what these next, what, 10, 12 games are for Gardner Minshew. And in terms of teams as a whole, look, the schedule is what the schedule is. They could still back... They could still back themselves in to a playoff spot. I, you're right. So yeah, yeah I, play for that. Like like play to try to make the playoffs. Here's play the best, to grow as a team. Jimmy, the the Colts, in terms of being like in the slot for a wild card, you could say that the Colts had. You know, I don't know. They they are they're in they're they're twenty percent ahead of like teams that aren't gonna that right now are not even in playoff contention, right? right. If if the drop off from Anthony Richardson to Gardner Minshew at this point in Richardson's career is a fifteen percent drop off, you're still to the good, right? right? I mean, they they are still going to be in the mix. There is, I will tell you this, 
kidding aside, flippancy aside, sarcasm aside, all redundant words, there is a silver lining in something that could come out of all of this for Anthony Richardson. And I'll tell you what that is coming up just a little bit later in the program. It's a Wednesday. It's beautiful. It's Query and Company on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, here's a question for you. Jimmy, do you know when the NFL League meetings were? Yeah, so it happened on Tuesday. That was the fall league meeting in New York. Uh, That is where NFL owners unanimously approved a proposal to move in-person head coaching interviews with candidates employed by NFL teams until after the divisional round of the playoffs. So Ian Rappaport just tweeted, when Jim Mercer talked here at the league meeting, he said he understood why Richardson opted for surgery but said he was looking forward to Richardson versus C.J. Stroud for rookie of the year. Clear the Colts know that they have their guy. So, yeah, that would make sense. That would be then e- either yesterday or today they knew for a fact that Richardson had made – and they they it appears as though they allowed for Richardson to make that decision, which I think that, – that jives with what I think we all knew. That timeline is on the same of when Stephen Holder, who we had on yesterday, again, you get that conversation wherever you get your podcast, that's sure it's Query and Company. But if you look, that was October 16th on Tuesday, so – that timeline fits in terms of the comments he made to Steven and the comments that he made to Ian. So let me ask you this, Jimmy. Who are the three best quarterbacks in the NFL? Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. Okay. Patrick Mahomes the best, right? Yes. Again, I'm right, I'm biased, but yes. Now, what did Mahomes do as a rookie? Uh, he sat. Sat his rookie season. Okay. First year, he threw 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, one MVP. But but as a rookie... He sat behind Alex Smith his rookie year. And what did he theoretically do that year? I mean, like, what did he physically, do you believe, do that year? I mean, I, I believe he took on all the lifestyle of an NFL player in terms of his body, in terms of working out, in terms of staying ready. Uh, there were reports about how impressive he was when they were in joint practice, or not joint practices, but when they were in practices with the second unit guys. He did everything that it would take to be preparing yourself to be an NFL quarterback without actually being the guy under center. And then when he got his opportunity, which he did against the Broncos, looked looked sharp, had some impressive throws, had some wow moments. So he spent the vast majority of his rookie year, and I know that, that you cannot one example make sure. as a rule. Sure, But he spent the majority of his rookie year sitting in team meetings, watching film, carrying around a notebook, and taking notes, right? Yes. And he had a guy in Alex Smith who had been a number one overall pick in the draft and had at that point was in stop number two for the most part, if I'm not – yeah, stop number two, right, of yeah. three. San Francisco, and Kansas then City, and then Kansas Washington. City and then Washington. Yep. Um, but a veteran guy that, that had been around the league a little bit that could kind of offer him some expertise, right? And was willing to do so by all public and later right. private accounts that were revealed. Yeah. And again, you cannot, it is impossible and dangerous to say that that means that automatically you've got Patrick Mahomes now that's waiting in the wings, right? I mean, that, that's, that, that would be absurd to think that. Correct. But nonetheless, it gives you a little bit of optimism, right? Yes. And 
if we're borrowing this analogy with Anthony Richardson, not to say, obviously, you've stressed this, but I'm stressed again, that he's going to be Patrick Mahomes, but you got a taste of Patrick Mahomes in a thrilling Week 17 matchup that was meaningless, him playing mainly with second-unit guys. He beats Denver on the road. You saw flashes in the same way with Anthony Richardson from a Colts fan's perspective this year. Even got more games, in fact, despite the injury. So you saw promise, but you didn't know what it was going to be. You hoped it'd be something special, but you had no idea it was going to pan out to what it did. Josh Allen, when he got into the league, um, you know, he basically took over pretty early. But I, if I'm not mistaken, he sat and watched Nathan Peterman for half the season and then, or, or a third of the season and then took over. But, the, you know, there were some learning curves there. My point being, year one for Anthony Richardson from the get-go was all about the development of Anthony Richardson. And there are two ways to develop. One is to develop by being out there. That is the absolute probably best case scenario baptism by fire but of all positions in sports probably the one that has the most fragile element of the psyche is quarterback in the national football league if you throw a guy out there too early to learn baptism by fire andrew luck is rare and the fact that he could get battered and beaten and still rise up above it a guy like david carr a guy like Johnny Manziel, and the Johnny Manziel probably was more on Johnny Manziel, but guys that get ragdolled for a year, some of them never come back from it. I'm not saying that was going to be the case with Anthony Richardson, but his body already was a little bit beaten, so now you go to the other means of learning, which all indication are with Anthony Richardson that he is a guy that is willing to set things aside and learn. So far, he has been, by all account. When Anthony Richardson got the keys handed to him, Jimmy, there was never like any sort of a public pledge or plead from him that that was going to be the case. The Colts are the ones that made that decision, and Richardson took it in stride and and has done everything that they asked. But there was there was never any sort of at least outwardly there doesn't appear to be any sort of like an an ego or or learning shortcoming or work ethic none of those things seem to be in play so in that regard it appears as though the pieces are there for this to be an apprenticeship a gap year you you ever know anybody that took a gap year yeah i always liked out of college when you graduate from college and people like you know you you run into some guy and you're like so what are you going to do now like graduations in a week what are you doing next year uh man i'm just taking a year off i'm gonna travel take a year take a year off from what waking up at noon watching (laughs) watching days of our lives and eating spaghettios like what was so rigorous about the last year of college are you kidding me taking a year off what the hell are you taking a year off from but i digress he doesn't Um, have to go too far by the way if he wants insight on how to from a mental standpoint recover from an injury taking away your rookie campaign he talked to anybody he wants to but he doesn't have to go very far we had a conversation with Drew Ogletree two weeks ago and one of the things that we asked him was what did you do to keep yourself ready as an NFL player knowing you'd lost your year and he stressed exactly what you're outlining Jake which is he paid attention even more so than he did before in film he did everything he could to make sure mentally he was sharp and he worked on his rehab And that's what it's going to be for Anthony Richardson over the rest of this season is soaking in as much as you could. And even though it's hard to wrap your mind around this mentally, basically treating it like it's, it is a red shirt year as Drew pointed out to us, what a week or two ago. Yeah. Which, you know, the Ogletree also mentioned, if you recall, Jimmy, that he had to battle 
not depression, but the psychological frustration, right? Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, at least in Richardson's case, all of us have started a new job at some point, right? Mm -hmm. All of us have started the first day of school. Remember the first day of school? You could still smell like the the first the first six weeks and the last six weeks of school. You could hear like the lawnmower from the custodian off in the distance and smell like you could still smell. I'm telling you right now, anybody listening right now, I guarantee you they're like, you know what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but he is exactly right. And that is this. If you think about the first week of school when you were in second grade, you don't remember much about it. You don't remember who you sat next to. You remember maybe who your teacher was, but you absolutely still, I guarantee you, you still remember the smell of the plastic folder, the number two trusty pencils, or that big block of the pink rubber eraser. Everyone remembers the smell of the first week of school. And on the first week of school, or on your first week on a new job, yeah, tomorrow you got to come up and meet with HR and set up your your payroll and your direct deposit, and then we're going to take you over, and Bill's going to meet with you and, and go through uh, your onboard portal, and Sally's going to meet with you. And, do, and the whole time you're thinking, I just want to get to the point where I don't know what day of the week it is. I just want to get to the point where it's routine. I just want to get to the point in school where I'm, I'm done with all of the like learning the syllabus and learning faces and names and just get to the point where I go in and it's it's just part of the routine and a habit each day. And for Anthony Richardson, he at least now has smelled the eraser. He at least now has gone through the onboard portal to make yeah. sure that he has a login account. And he's had enough taste that that part of the apprehension is over with. And that's a huge part of it, Jimmy. A huge part of it. So that's the good news. At least he's had a little taste, right? We can say that his rookie year's lost. It's not totally. And I'm not even trying to sit here and be overly optimistic. I'm by nature a cynic, as I as I mentioned. But I, I do think that there's a lot to be positive about. Yeah, it's disappointing because people wanted to see. But here's the, the other possible good news. Andrew Luck's rookie year. He had an unbelievable year. Every ball bounced the Colts' way. Everything did, right? So what did the Colts do after Andrew Luck's rookie year? And I don't blame Ryan Grigson on this. I don't. Maybe I blame Jim Irsay a little bit. But the Colts took Andrew Luck's rookie year and an immediate push, an immediate exceed of expectation, and an immediate comfort level of their quarterback, and they utilized that towards accelerating the timeline. And they went out and they got Andre Johnson and they got Frank Gore and here we go. Holy cow. Push all in. All chips in. We're going for it. We're here. We're there. We're on the doorstep. We're knocking on the door. Instead of sitting back and continuing to be patient to allow to build organically. Jim Irsay sent the tweet out. Griggs is wheeling and dealing back in the Brinks truck. And before you know it, instead of drafting organically, and building pieces around organically seeds for Andrew Luck that you could water and grow with them. You're going out and you're getting Gosder Sherless and you're getting Eric Walden and you're getting Ricky Jean Francois and you're getting Frank Gore, like I mentioned, and you're getting all these pieces that the timelines didn't add up because they accelerated because they got too excited too early. This now forces the Colts to avoid doing that again. If Anthony Richardson had played this year and had a remarkable year and stayed healthy then it's possible the Colts would have gone aggressive. I don't know that Chris Ballard would have done the same thing. Maybe Ballard has more cachet 
to stare down Ursay and say, I'm not going to do it that way. But it, but this forces the Colts to have another year of organic seed planting as opposed to over-aggressive acceleration of timeline. I want to clarify and make sure that you don't view my position from earlier in the show as over-acceleration of the timeline. If they go out, let's just say, and I, I need to look at the cap numbers to see if they could even do this, but if they retained Michael Pittman Jr. and they went out and spent big for T. Higgins... I would view that as either middle of the road to what you and I are saying or doing it for the sake of developing it. No, yes, I, I, I would agree with that. They, they, need, they still need pieces. Sure. Yeah, that, and that's – I'm talking about like – I mean, they were the – I don't want were, Odell Beckham Jr. coming in here. Correct. I, I think the pieces that they would be going out and getting, Jimmy, would be doing it with the development of Richardson sure. in mind. Sure. Right? I'd like to throw Pine Sol in there as well on the uh, smells of first day of school. Well, the problem with pine saw is this. Then it reminds you of the shaved pencil shavings that come in the goldfish cracker bags that somebody (laughs) yacked. Inevitably and invariably, somebody in the first week of school throws up on the desk, and then they bring in the little goldfish bag with the wood shavings, and you could definitely smell that. Not the yak, but the wood shavings, which is by design, right? I was looking for the lemony, fresh scent that you got from the end of- uh... Do you drink gin? You ever had gin? Yes. I mean, not regularly, but yes, I've had gin. Is gin pine saw? Are they the same thing? I think they're the same thing. If you drink gin, does it not taste like pine salt to you? I've never had pine salt, so I can't okay, how about this? say that. Gin tastes like what pine salt smells like. Sure. Okay. Pine salt smells like you would assume it tastes like gin. Gin is horrific, is what I'm getting at. I, who drinks gin? I've only ever had it like in a mixed drink. I've never uh, other than like straight. Snoop Dogg, apparently. I, I, I don't, I mean, what did you have it in? Like gin and tonic? Tonic also disgusting. It was like a lemonade type drink. I don't know. Lemonade and gin? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Because I think tonic water too. The only reason I, the only reason a, a bar should even have tonic water is if somebody gets a shirt stain. <laughs> That's it. That's the only reason tonic <laughs> it's water. It's just there be. in a tide to go. Correct. Uh, Correct. <laughs> you get you, 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 you. Oh, I just got ketchup on my shirt. Anybody have any tonic water? Great. Thank you. That's the only purpose and reason for it. I had to just double check on a quick Google search to make sure I was right. My dad drank gin. Really? He would do a beef eater martini. You know what? Tom Alibrandi, who was the chief engineer for the IMS radio network, loved beef eater. So there you go. Okay. Maybe I'll try it. Like just in, the road trip this weekend, uh, we're going to be in New York. I'm, I'm assuming I'll have a Manhattan. Maybe I'll change that to a gin and get a beef eater, right? Why not? I guess. That, that's the beef eaters on the bottle. That they've got the, It's the British fellow with the big hat. Right? Yes. Yep. That's the beef eater? Yeah. What's the term beef eater come from? Do you know? No idea. Oh, that, is, that a, is that what that guy is? Or is it? Is, do we just assume that people that drink gin are eating steak with it? <laughs> do you know? I have no idea. I'm impressed that my I was able to go back in the memory banks. That is Papa impressive. Papa Cook, beef eater martini on the rocks with a twist. That's what he would get. Wait, no, what's the twist? I assume a lemon? I, what about lime? Could go that way. Or lemon-lime. Why not? What a twist that would be, right? Uh, again, Zach Key for 2 o'clock today, and we're going to talk in about 15 minutes with a guy who had surgery not once but twice that mirrors that that took place with Anthony Richardson. So if you are just joining us, Anthony Richardson, uh, where have you been? Anthony Richardson, Jim Mercer making official today, is indeed out for the season. He will have surgery to repair the damage done by the shoulder sprain. And Grover Stewart, we need to get into that as well. What does this mean for the Colts' defense that Grover Stewart is – going to be out now for six games and what possibly might have led to that. A little bit more on that that we'll get into as we continue here on a Wednesday. It's Quarian Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Grover on the Muppets. Is he the Muppets or Sesame Street? Is he both? Do we know? Grover Sesame Street, right? Was he ever on the Muppets? He was not, right? I'm starting to think now he was. They're they're on like Kermit. The Kermit Kermit double dipped, right? No, he was Sesame Street. You're right. Grover. Yeah. And Grover's related to Elmo, right? Correct. But Kermit Kermit had freelance gigs, right? He, he was Kermit was the Muppet. He was the host of the Muppet Show, but he was a freelancer on Sesame Street, right? He was a when he a mainstay on Sesame Street. But, I cannot confirm nor deny whether I, I, think, I think Kermit might have <laughs> Kermit might have made his his debut in Sesame Street and then crossed over and then of course he and Fozzie drove out to L.A. to launch and that's the the creation of the Muppet Show because they met Muppets along the way it was like Zombieland for Muppets they just met them as they drove it does along, appear right? he had freelance reign Big for Bird time. also Big Bird also freelance right I believe so yeah but Grover specifically Sesame Street right yes okay. But he's he's a he's supposedly a monster, but I don't think it was a m- monster. How could you be a monster and be like the your nephew or your cousin or whatever your kid is Elmo? You're not a monster. You're lovable, right? Grover Stewart, so. lovable guy, right? Yeah. But Grover Stewart yesterday finds out and sends on Instagram the news that he is facing a six game suspension for violating the league's policy of performance and I almost said substance abuse. Different violating the league's policy on performance enhancement. Now, yesterday the NFL Players Association sent a memo to the – the NFL sent a memo, I should say, to the Players Association. And this, I'm assuming, is something that has been around before and it was a reminder. Quote, there is evidence that some meat produced in China and Mexico may be contaminated with clenbuterol an anabolic agent which is banned by the NFL policy on performance-enhancing substances. Consuming large quantities of meat while visiting these particular countries may result in a positive test for clenbuterol in violation of the policy. Players are warned to be aware of this issue when traveling to Mexico and China. Please take caution if you decide to consume meat and understand that you do so at your own risk. Please remember... That as stated in the NFL policy for performance-enhancing substances, quote, players are responsible for what is in their bodies. That was issued yesterday. Then there is later a list also attached of different things. Dietary supplements are marketed as products that will enhance your health, your stamina, your performance, etc. Dietary supplements are not approved by the FDA as to effectiveness, adverse effects, or label accuracy. And then it has another warning of different supplements you might be taking. It is not unprecedented that players could fail a test for performance-enhancing drugs and then find out that, in fact, they went to their local gym, got a protein shake, went to one of the you know frozen yogurt places that does protein smoothies, whatever, and took in a substance that is on the banned list. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, Jimmy, it is the responsibility of the player to know that. That seems really laborious, that everywhere you'd go, you'd be like, can I see a list of your all of your ingredients, please? I get it. That would be – but at the same time, 
Grover Stewart, you're talking about a $3 million loss, right? Um, I'm not saying that, that he's a bad guy or that he's a dumb guy. It's very complicated, but I, the one thing that's interesting is with those caveats out there, you notice that he did not say, hey, I think this might be from blank. He basically just said, you know what, I apologize. And on top of that, Jake, and this is the business perspective of it all, it's a contract year. He's 29 years old, playing a very physical position. Correct. It now makes me, if I'm in the Colts front office, dive into what exactly happened. Was it a one-off or is it like something that he's been maybe taking for a while and then the random drug test happens and then he, but he didn't know. I'm not saying he did know. Right. I'm just saying you need to take that into account now in these negotiations of, okay, what do you think it was? Or is there a way to find out what exactly it was? How long were you taking whatever it was? And then where do we go from here in terms of contract negotiation? It also could be like a, to be honest with you, you never know. It could be a cream. Hey, you know what? Like my ankles really bothered me. I put some of this, this gel on there and you know, whatever else, but uh, nonetheless, Grover Stewart out now for six weeks. Chris Ditto was a quarterback at Indiana, had the same surgery, not once but twice, as Anthony Richardson. He'll shed some light on that next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. One o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. One o'clock hour underway everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone, for that matter. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison joining us here. Query and Company on 93.5, The Fan. Big story of the day. Anthony Richardson, now we officially know, out for the season for the Indianapolis Colts, electing to have surgery on his right shoulder after suffering a sprain on said shoulder against the Tennessee Titans. Joining us now on the hotline, a guy that took snaps for Indiana from 1993 to 1996, threw for over 3,100 yards for the Hoosiers, did Chris Ditto, and did so, if I'm not mistaken, after twice having surgery similar to Anthony Richardson. But first off, Chris, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you calling in. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jake, Jimmy. Really, um, yeah, glad to talk to you guys today. Okay, let's begin with this. So you you said that you had this surgery twice um, take me through the first one. What, when exactly in your playing career? I mean, obviously you, you played high school through college. So when did you have the surgery on, we'll begin with your right shoulder. So the right shoulder happened in the fall of 1992. And this was back in the days where quarterbacks did not wear red jerseys. Well, they, I think they did some programs, but coach Mallory, everybody was live at all times, which made things a little dicey and I was running the scout team. It was my true freshman year was running the scout team and was tackled, driven into the ground, similarly to the way Anthony was done on Sunday and my shoulder separated and it just came out and I got up holding my arm very close to my chest and it's very, very painful. And, you know, the, I think the good thing about this type of injury is that, it's very clean. Like it once it's like almost like breaking a bone. Like there aren't any ligaments. There aren't anything that you have to worry about in that regard. And as soon as I saw him land like that, and anytime I see any quarterback land in that manner, I always think I'd be, I'm surprised when they don't have a separated shoulder, because it's just a, 
It's just that one little fluke area in how you land where it happens most of the time. So I was able to, that was like early November. I was actually able to kind of finish that season and just did some physical therapy on it. And after two or three weeks, they realized that it was not going to heal properly. So they, I I had surgery early to early December and I was back for spring ball by the middle of April feeling perfectly fine. So it's really a, it's really for, for me, it was about a three month start to finish rehab and, and throwing, which I, you know, that to me is the good news about this type of injury. Okay. So I'm going to speak here, Chris, in like, I mean, let's put it this way, right? I mean, you and I were in Bloomington at roughly the same time and, yeah. and, and I graduated like a year ago. So that should tell you my intellectual aptitude here. Right. Yeah. Um, so the I'm shoulder- not very smart either, so we'll do the best. <laughs> so the shoulder itself, for lack of a better phrase, think of like you have a, a baseball, okay, you have the, the round part of your shoulder, and then you have the labrum, which is essentially like a bowl that sits on the side of that so that that ball never rolls out of that bowl and the shoulder stays mm-hmm. in place. Andrew Luck, right. we know, had compromise of that bowl. The ligaments in that netting of the bowl got compromised, and so therefore the ball kind of rolls everywhere. In your yeah. case, I, I don't know. With Richardson, they simply said sprain. Would that mean that it was, in fact, and I don't want to falsely be a doctor or, or make you in that case either, but um, the the sur- surgery itself, what exactly did they do and repair for you that would be the surgery that he theoretically would be undergoing? Yeah, so I think sprain is just another uh, way of saying separated. And so for me... I had basically my, I think that's my femur. That bone was connected up to my shoulder and then the clavicle. And when it was trying to heal, it was coming back together, not in an exact puzzle. It was coming kind of cockeyed. So they came into my right shoulder and they basically cut out part of my clavicle. So it would match up a little bit better with the two bones would match up better. And there's a, bone called the joint in there called the acromium clavicular joint those were that's what needed to match up for it to heal properly otherwise you know you would have bone spurs calcium deposits all kinds of things build up in your shoulder where it just would never kind of heal evenly back together if that makes sense and so that ironically um that exact injury happened on both my right shoulder and left shoulder and the timeline was basically the same for both. I mean, in your case, let's say from the time that, that you went in and laid down on the gurney to the time that you were throwing again comfortably without thinking about it, we're talking basically four months, right? Yes, absolutely. And and for, you know, my right shoulder, the, the surgery, and, you know, I was moving it pretty comfortably after about a month. And then, you know, throwing after about two and a half to three months and then really letting her rip after four months. So, you know, obviously, I I think this is apples and oranges. You know, they're 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 thinking about him for the next 10 years. I was trying to get ready for for spring ball, which was in April, which I did. And I was ready to play. And then again, in spring practice, uh, I got hit, driven to the ground. Boom. Left shoulder popped, separated. Same exact surgeries, same exact doctor did the surgery, and and really the same timeline 
on the recovery. So it's it's one of to be honest, like I said, I'm I'm surprised that this type of injury doesn't happen more often to quarterbacks. I don't think it means Anthony is any less, you know, stable or you know not tough enough to play the position. Obviously, the the injuries that he got the first few times I think are more concerning than this shoulder the shoulder separation that he's experiencing now. Okay, so. As we know, when you look up on the internet, Chris, everything's factual, right? According to this, type 3 injuries, a type 3 sprain, which is what he was reported to have, is a sprain where both of the AC and CC ligaments have a complete tear. The AC joint will appear abnormal, although swelling may may obscure the degree of injury. So maybe they needed to wait like a week, right, before they could really determine what was going on. You did not have ligament tear, correct? No, I did not. And that, that I think, is also a blessing and i'm assuming he doesn't have any either because i've had some friends that have torn their late their labrum well i think he had i think he had the ac joint and the ac and cc ligament tear which is why it was listed as a grade three sprain meaning that he had a tear of the ligaments and that's what had to be repaired but i would imagine it's a similar i mean again i'm not a doctor but i would imagine it was a similar procedure right yes i'm i'm guessing that he will They'll go in and they'll because it was a third degree AC sprain, and I'm guessing they will go in and do a very very a very similar injury, assuming there isn't any further damage to any other ligaments. Because if you get it, if you're a thrower and you get into that labrum ligament, I mean it can end careers. It it really can. I've seen it happen because when you tear your labrum, it just becomes so much more susceptible to happening again. So for me and hopefully for Anthony, it is just a simple separation. They go in and they clean it up. They put it back together, and he should have 100% mobility. I would think this time, you know, in January, he should be ready to go. Chris Ditto is our guest. Chris, I know that everybody's mentality, everybody's mental health can be impacted differently by injuries, but for you, the mental side of it happening, again, like you mentioned, in both shoulders – was it a difficult injury mentally to overcome from? Yeah, yes, for sure. Especially when you know your your whole career depends on your right arm, and you know not knowing exactly if you're going to come back a hundred percent. Because for Anthony, being his right shoulder, then he's probably very scared and nervous about being able to throw normally again. And I'm sure he's talking to guys that have had this happen to them that has had had similar injuries and giving him a peace of mind that, Hey, this is unfortunately it's part of the game and you'll be back better than ever. And for me, you know, I'm 50 years old now, which is hard to believe, but I'm, I haven't had any issue in either shoulders at all, fortunately. And I've got some pretty big, about a two to three inch scar on the top of both of my shoulders from where they went in. And, um, unfortunately I've had zero issues with it. So, um, but the mental part definitely will play a factor. You know, if it was his left shoulder, if it was his left shoulder. Hell, he might try and play through it a little bit more, but since it's his right, I think it definitely makes sense to shut him down. Chris, Jake is right about the internet being a wonderful place. Chris Ditto is our guest. So correct me if I'm wrong on this as I've fallen down a rabbit hole. You at one point in time played in NFL Europe and in fact played for the Frankfurt galaxy, correct? 
That is correct, yes. And uh, yes. I, I learned as well in relief of uh, of Damon Heward in, in a semifinal in the World Cup, uh, or the World Bowl, I beg your pardon, in 98. Yes. You know, ironically, he, he hurt his shoulder in <laughs> the, mid, the middle of the, I guess it was the, the semifinals, and his shoulder came out, and I was the backup at the time, and started in the World Bowl, which is what they called it back then. Um, the same year I was out there, Jake DeLome played for the Amsterdam Admirals. Um, Je- uh, God, Warner, Kurt Warner was also in the league. So it was a, it was a pretty legitimate league, and it was actually it was more fun just to live over in Europe for three or four months. But, but yeah, Damon and I were on the same team, and he obviously went on and had a, a great career as a backup for 10 or 12 years. So the shoulder comes into play a lot. I think we all know for quarterbacks and yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff on the internet about the Frankfurt galaxy and the Berlin thunder and that league that I really wish was still around because it was pretty great. Well, the reason I asked that is because the home games for the Frankfurt galaxy were played at now Deutsche bank park, which is where the Colts and Patriots are going to meet up in Frankfurt next month. So I was going to ask you, I know I'm, I know I'm going deeper in the memory bank, but what do you remember about Deutsche bank park? I guess at the time walled stadium. Yeah, Wall Stadium. To be honest, it felt old back in 1998. And I just assumed they would be playing in a brand-new stadium. But are they really playing yeah. in that stadium? That is unbelievable. Um, I mean, it, was, it was built for soccer or football. And, it, you know, the great thing about playing in Germany, because at the time they had six teams. They had one in a team in London, Barcelona, Amsterdam, Scotland, and two in Germany, Dusseldorf and Frankfurt. And we had 50-plus thousand fans at every single game. The German fans really understood the American football game and loved it. So we would play at home in front of 50-plus thousand fans, and you would go to London or Barcelona, and you'd play in in front of about 10,000 fans. So having been and played there, actually played two years, played for the Frankfurt Galaxy one spring and then played for – the Berlin, the Berlin Thunder one spring and had a great time. So I am excited. I did not realize that they were playing in that same stadium. I'm assuming it's had to have taken or gone over a facelift and been upgraded many times over since then. But is it a historical stadium? Like, has it been around a long time? Because it did feel old in 1998. Open in 25. Okay. But it's the Wrigley Field. Last renovation was 05. Chris, here's the thing. Deutsche Bank actually separated its shoulder around 84, and they did a quick (laughs) surgery on it, and it was fine by the 85 season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully they separate their shoulder a few more times after that. (laughs) Further upgrades. Hey, Oliver Luck, Andrew Luck's dad, ran the Frankfurt yeah. Galaxy like when we were in college, I mean, before you would have been there. But then he was running NFL Europe at the time you were there. Did you cross paths with, I mean, teenage yeah. Andrew or his dad? Well, yeah, absolutely. We would, just because of the success that we had, I mean, there were, you know, if you, since we played in the World Bowl, they did a lot of pomp and circumstance while we were over there. And Paul Tagliabue actually made an appearance as well. So we had dinner with, Oliver Luck, Paul Tagliabue, and I don't—I I feel like Andrew was less than ten years old at the time, and he, I definitely remember him running around. He was very, just yeah, he would have been like eight or nine, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But yes, definitely remember 
this kid being around Oliver Luck all the time. And much like you'll see Paul Tagliabue at games, Oliver Luck would be at games throughout the season, but he definitely was present during the World Bowl, which well, yeah, which was played in our home stadium because we did play all of our home games at Walt Stadium, and then the World Bowl was also there that year as well. And so it was, you know, it was very, very cool to be able to look back on those years and know the history with Oliver Luck and Paul Tagalibu, and then reminiscing about Andrew Luck as a child also is pretty cool. Uh, Chris Ditto is our guest, by the way, quarterback for Indiana who had – shoulder surgery while a Hoosier now runs obviously a very successful PR firm here in Indianapolis. Uh, Chris, before I let you go, the state of Indiana right now in terms of football, um, let me tell you what I said on the air. I, I can't recall if it was yesterday or Monday. And then I want you to tell me if you think that I'm being too harsh. Um, all indication. I have not had great let me rephrase that. I've not had like personal interaction with Tom Allen. When I have, it has been like in this situation, phone interviews, radio interviews, whatever. Every indication I've ever been given from people who know him is that he is a fine human being and a fine man and would be like the world's greatest next-door neighbor, father-in-law, uncle, whatever you want to call it. But in terms of Indiana football and the number of coordinators they've gone through, the trajectory of the program itself, the fact that they're six games in and are still playing quarterback shuffling, etc., um, while I think he is a dear human being by all account, I feel like it's time for Indiana to make a change at the coaching position and that Tom Allen's time in terms of inspiring those that are playing for him seemingly has come and gone. And it is time for Indiana to make the move to find and cash in on a very high level of future stock of the Big Ten and get somebody in there uh, to redirect the program. Your thoughts? Well, I... I agree with everything you said about Tom Allen, and I've, I've gotten to know him pretty well over the last seven years that he's been there. And I think he is just an incredible person. I also think he's a, a really good football coach as well when he focuses probably as a defensive coordinator. Um, and it, the whole – a couple – I mean, I could talk for an hours about this because I'm very, very passionate about Indiana football and talk to teammates about it over the last 30 years. And it just is a – we are all tortured souls when it comes to Indiana football because of just our history with it and our experience with it. And so Rod Carey was the center when, when I had my first start my freshman year. He was a fifth-year senior, and I was a freshman, and I, I love Rod Carey like a brother – and I really think he will be able to have an impact these last the second half of the season. And when I, you know, when I look at their schedule as a whole, they haven't really lost a game that you would think they were going to lose. Akron would have been a debacle, and that still is very, very concerning how that game ended and how they struggled. But when you look at the remaining schedule, you know, I, the, I'm just going to, I guess make this decision at the end of the year if they go the rest of the year and they don't win another game it's hard not to agree with everything that you're saying but they have you know they do have winnable games they could potentially beat Rutgers they could maybe beat Wisconsin at home they could beat Illinois on the road they can beat Michigan State and Purdue so I would love to talk to you again in four or six weeks and see where they are um, but the whole 
the, it's very concerning what they're doing at the quarterback position too, and not being settled on a guy yet. I thought they settled on a guy going into the Louisville game, and I thought that Taven performed well, especially in the second half. So I, I guess I'm, I'm going to take the cop out answer right now, and I'd love to. I, if things do not improve and they continue the way they are beyond the Purdue game, then I don't see how you can't make a change, to be honest with you, because of you when you combine last year and this year and then going into a recruiting season, you just don't know what you're going to get with the transfer portal. It's just so challenging right now. And you, there's going to be some candidates out there. Now, I, again, I love Tom Allen. I think he is great for Indiana football. Um, but the bottom line is we've got to be more competitive in games. We've got to be more competitive against a team like Michigan. I, do I expect us to win the game? No. But do I expect us to be in the game and look competitive? Yes. So it's it'll be interesting how we perform these last, you know, the second half of the season with some winnable games on the schedule. If you go to the state of Pennsylvania, do you have to go under assumed identity because Penn State <laughs> yeah. fans would know that you cost them a national title? Well, that is just uh, – that's hilarious too because, yes, it's amazing fans – do remember that particular game in 1994 and i you know that was kind of kind of fluky again looking back on some notorious characters on the sideline with jerry sandusky being there and joe paterno being there it's it's really it's really uh kind of creepy to think about but that was an incredible game where penn state came in ranked number one and fell to number two because we only lost to them by six points which is kind of funny but uh, proud to say, yeah, we knocked them out in Nebraska. One <laughs> That's right. You, you get free drinks in Nebraska the rest of your life. Yeah, right. There's only six yeah. places in Nebraska to drink them, but you get free drinks in Nebraska yeah. the rest of your life. Hell yeah. Exactly. No doubt. Hey, Chris, we appreciate it, man. We'd love to have you back on as we talk about IU football and really anything else, too. We can talk about the Frankfurt Galaxy for a day and a half. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah, would love to. Well, thank you guys very much for having me. And Love the show. Love the the new format with what you guys are doing. You're doing a great job here from noon to three every day. So appreciate you guys, everything you guys are doing. Appreciate it, man. Uh, Chris Ditto, again, former Indiana quarterback. Interesting stuff, too, especially, you know, again, with Richardson. There is no reason to believe anything other than essentially, and and I want to make clear to protect Chris, myself, you, Eddie, you know, we're not doctors, but you go by precedent and you go by – and. That's everything he said is is pretty indicative of what the Colts have basically shed light on. The fact that it appears as though um, the Richardson timetable this is the best long term solution, and that you're hoping it's a one stop cure all, right? I mean, that's that's the hope. I would have totally different emotions and feelings about the status of Anthony Richardson if it was a knee or if it was like a a, a severe like break of of a leg. Like, I'd be very very fearful as a Colts fan if that was the case from any of the different medical experts that have weighed in on this and as Jake mentioned we are not that but anybody that we've talked to it seems like this is going to be a procedure that should eliminate the chances of a re-injury to it or at least increase the chances that it doesn't happen again and then you start over from Jump Street week one of 2024. Are we in a hiring freeze here at the company by the way? That's an excellent question. Uh, because um, we don't have somebody director of PR, and you just hi- missed out on the opportunity to hire someone. <laughs> we need all the PR we can get, too, right? <laughs> right, exactly. 
By the way, that's a great point. One of the more fun rabbit holes that I have ever fallen into was learning about the Frankfurt Galaxy and the. How did you fall into that rabbit hole? Well, so I went to his. uh, I went Ditto Public Relations, we know, which Chris, the president and co-founder of, on his bio, it mentions that quarterback at IU, Detroit Lions, and two seasons competing in NFL Europe. And I remember NFL Europe because of Madden. Like, you could play with some of the NFL Europe teams in the early 2000 Madden games. So I decided, all right, let's go see where he was in NFL Europe. And then I see that he played for Frankfurt. Then I'm like, wait a minute. That's where the like the NFL's going to Frankfurt. Where are they playing at? Same stadium. You know, the the fact that it was built in 25, I think is cool, right? Awesome. Um, and, and he's right. When he said Wrigley, I've always said this. I think it's fascinating. What is the age of a stadium or a sports venue that you have to fight through between where it transitions from being an old dump to totally cool and historic. Like every stadium, I guess, goes through its its period of acne and headgears, but yet like Candlestick Park, Riverfront Stadium, all the cookie-cutter stadiums, whatever else, if you just would have fought through it and eventually still had it around in 70 years would people have been like, this is the greatest thing ever, they can never get rid of it. And keep in mind, and this is a scary thought, Lucas Oil Stadium right now <laughs> – Right now. Somebody brought this up to me last week. Lucas Oil Stadium is, and I'm going to be off by maybe a year here, but Lucas Oil Stadium is, I believe at this point, six years away from the age the RCA Dome was when it was imploded, which is amazing. Uh, Speaking of new football venues, really good one on the west side. A lot of good football being played there, and we're going to talk to a guy that's in charge of all of it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. How about the Marion Knights? I love having on Coach Karras, Ted Karras Jr., the head coach of the Marion Knights, set to join us here. And they are coming off... Uh, you know, it's funny, Jimmy, not necessarily statistically their most dominating win of the year, but so far might be their most impressive when you talk about going on the road getting a win over 10th ranked Concordia in Michigan and coach Karras let me tell you why I think that was so far in your unblemished season the most impressive win for your club and you might disagree but I look at it and you guys offensively are you know you can be a juggernaut that was a game where you had to dig deep at a 14-7 win and at least from the outside looking in, that was a defensive effort where you really had to buckle down. Your team was tested on the road against a highly ranked team. To me, that was a real test for your guys that I thought in the end was the most impressive of the year. I would agree with you, Jake, and thanks for having me on, fellas. Absolutely. No, you know, they had, they had, had a long home game winning streak last year. Mary went up and beat them undefeated this year. And then Tech on, you know, in Ann Arbor last week, it was about pelting rain all game. And our guys fought all four quarters right to the end and got a huge W against number 10 in the nation. Now, that was a big win. You were spot on with that. I totally agree with you. Now, from a coaching standpoint, I'm curious. It's great when your team is just clicking along, right? I mean, you're coming, you're beating people, you know, 41 nothing, 40 to 6, 45 14. I know that you want every game to be one of those where you're comfortable and you're able to to relax a little bit. But is it good, and from a coaching standpoint, even though you don't necessarily want your players to know it, are there times where you get on the bus after a game and you go, you know what, I'm really glad we were tested today. We needed that test. 
Yeah, I think for the overall, you know, program and, and for the year, that it was a big test. But, no, I'm with you. I like to not be as stressed and have that comfortable lead. You know, it's, it's a lot better feeling on the sideline. But, yeah, that, that, that said something about our team. We came together. You know, it's a unique field. There's no one behind you. There's just a field on the visitor's side. We felt it was us against the world. And, um, you know, the guys fought and, and did a great job. And, you know, we went to Michigan back-to-back weeks, too. So, I, you know, the guys are traveling well. They're doing everything we, you know, we're asking them to do, and uh, you know we got to just keep it rolling. Coach Ted Karras Jr., head coach of the Marion Knights, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Coach, you've been around the game a long time, so I feel like you can give an honest answer to this question. You mentioned how brutal the rain was this past Saturday. Are you the type of coach that relishes whenever you get the opportunity for the elements to be a part of the game? Uh, Jimmy, I, I wouldn't say necessarily relish, but we embraced it for sure, you know. But we hadn't really practiced in rain. And uh, kudos to our guys, you know, for all the ball handling guys, you know, from our center, you know, Connor Young to Peyton Knight snapping to Mason Miller, you know, doing all the holding. Uh, they did a great job. The the specialists wet the ball, a la Bill Belichick in practice, uh, one of the days of the week. But um, to relish it, yeah, you know, we embraced it for sure. We embraced it. Whatever the case, yeah, whatever the conditions, we got to embrace it. Marion's going to be in action, by the way, Saturday, 105 over at St. Vincent Field, taking on the University of St. Francis right here in Indiana. Again, this game, 1 o'clock on Saturday, essentially. Uh, I was driving past a couple weeks ago. I think it was when – I'm trying to think of which game it would have been. might have been the Lawrence Tech game, and I'm driving down Cold Springs, and, I mean, people were tailgating. It was a couple hours before the game. People already tailgating, getting ready for the atmosphere, so it's going to be a great atmosphere, obviously an affordable one. Um, coach at this point what is you know you got a pretty good feel of where you guys are you got a a good feel of who you are you're six and oh but what's the area still that is keeping you awake the area still that's keeping me awake um well there's a few things that keep me awake at night um but uh you know we got to continue to be solid on special teams we've been for the most part but our kickoff team has kept me up once in a while um you know the ability to keep throwing deep you know, we were out with some of our receivers um, last couple of weeks, so I want to continue to work on that. Um, but I really like the fact that we've really come together. I think we're playing tough football, and we're in tune, you know, day in and day out of practice and on game day, and that's a big thing that I stressed all year long. You know, you would be a good person to ask. Ted Karras Jr., our guest, the head coach of the Marion Knights, with the Anthony Richardson news today, which I know you're aware of, Coach, yeah. you know, obviously you've had young players – that had maybe a season of promise or hope and expectation shelved by injury. What, from a psychological standpoint, how do players get through that? And from a coaching standpoint, what do you do to keep a player on task to keep them focused towards the long term and not getting too dark a hole based on not being able to be out there? Yeah, the biggest thing I think is you just have to maintain a positive mindset. And we've had a couple of those this year. And I tell the guys, man, you just got to stay positive. You got to rehab it. You know, we want you around the team as much as you can, you know, can be. And uh, the biggest thing is, is taking that positive mindset and rehabbing and, and getting back on the right track. But positivity, I would say, is the number one thing. For you guys, in terms of like long-term vision, and I know we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves here, right? You know you've got, obviously, this game against St. Francis, and then you go on the road and you take on Taylor. But looming right there in early November is another ranked team and a top-five team at home against Indiana Wesleyan. 
as a coach, how do you prohibit your guys from starting to look beyond what's the task at hand? Well, I preach once, one thing is living in the moment. We're all living in the moment day to day. So we got to take care of today. Um, and, you know, we don't look ahead. You know, we can, at, at, on Monday's meeting, I said we got to keep our humility. We got to keep our hunger. Hunger factor is big. You only get 10 opportunities, all right? And, um, you know, this is number seven coming up. So I think that the staff and the players have done a really good job of doing that because St. Francis is a very good team. They stumbled at the beginning a little bit. They've knocked off four in a row. I know the program pretty well, having been up there last year. I have a great respect for the coaches and players there, and it's going to be a battle on the west side. I always enjoyed doing this, Coach. Give me a player or two. I've asked you this kind of question before. Maybe a local kid or a a kid that that has had to to overcome some things that doesn't perhaps show up in the box score, but if people really knew what they'd been through and what they're bringing to your team on a daily basis – they would be really, really impressed by the diligence of that player. Give me a name or two. Yeah, that's a good question. I think Jake Paris is one uh, one kid that, you know, his, parents, his mom passed away, and he, uh, he just comes in day to day, works hard every day. He has been leading the team in tackles quite a bit, but he's one guy that's been through some adversity that comes to mind offhand. Um, another this season, you know, T. Ray Spence out of Hammond Morton, you know, he's had – he got injured on day one of practice. He rehabbed himself back. He got dinged in practice a couple weeks ago. He's rehabbed himself back, and it's really good to have him, you know, good to go this week. So there's a couple guys that I think have overcome some things and really done a good job this year. Is it tough from a coaching standpoint, Coach, to – and I assume you do this. You know, you, you, once you get to know your roster, to kind of coach different guys different ways because you have to k- take into consideration – what might be going on away from the field or how they respond to criticism or encouragement or whatever else. How long does it take for you to know your roster to that level of an intimacy where you know how to individualize and motivate? Um, that's probably still ongoing a little bit, but no, that's, that's a, that is a big thing. And I'd say for myself as a younger coach now to, you know, as an older coach has been a little more seasoned, yeah, I have a lot more compassion and empathy than I've ever had in my life, and I've always deemed myself a positive motivator. I'm not one of these negative guys. You know, like in my Monday meetings, I'm showing all the good plays. I'll let my assistants show the bad ones, but uh, I really focus on po- positive motivation and making guys feel good about themselves, hopefully on a day-in and day-out basis to want to be around. Have the Bengals found some footing? Are they getting it pointed in the right direction here? Yeah, so that's fun. You know, interesting. I got off the bus from Ann Arbor about 9.30 at Marion, drove back, watched the film, got up the next day with my wife. We went down and watched a game that was kind of similar to ours um, in the fact that the defense, again, carried them and uh, got to watch the film at night with my son, Cordell Volson, and Jake Browning. And, yes, we're, we're getting there. Um, I, I, you know, they obviously have to pick some things up, up offensively like we all do, but um, it's really nice for them to be – at three and three going into the bye, and I think there'll be a Teddy K siding on the west side this Saturday. So that'd be nice too. <laughs> nice. All right, bring <laughs> yeah. a little mojo to the team, right? That's what I like to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he'll enjoy coaching. You know, hanging out in the spring. He's really looking forward to coming to Saturday too. I love it. One oh five on Saturday against St. Francis over at St. Vincent Field, West Side, Marion in action. Coach, appreciate it. Look forward to having you back on. All right, thank you, guys. All right, Ted Harris Jr., the head coach of the Marionites. Good stuff. And, of course, his son, the starting uh, offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals won two in a row, so getting in the right direction. But, again, I think, Jimmy, I think one of the things that's fascinating is – 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to Queer Company. Eddie Garrison, sorry to put you on the spot, but I have a little bit of breaking news I'd like to share. So there'll be a number of different injuries we monitor in the lead up to Colts Browns. I'll warn you ahead of time or give you a happy note ahead of time that this is not directly tied to the Colts. So no more negative news there. But this from me and Rapport on Twitter at Rapsheet. Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson, who is dealing with a rotator cuff bruise, called his status up in the air and won't practice today. So that's where things stand, Jake, on the front of Cleveland and a potential return to action for Deshaun Watson. And you know that... The curveball there would be this. Cleveland stands right now at 3-2, and two, right? Correct. And it's not really the play of Deshaun Watson that has any factor in any of that. No, it's their defense. I mean, they were able to go and beat San Francisco because of their defense without Deshaun Watson, right? Yes. And Watson has yet, for a guy that they obviously kind of turned the football world upside down, because of their acquisition of him and the contract they gave him, given all of the allegations against Deshaun Watson, uh, he has not in really, at this point, shown that to be um, a sage move by Cleveland at all. Their defense, though, is legit. I, I mean, historic at this point, right? I, I don't know. How in the world did they give up 26 to Pittsburgh? Those division games are always weird, man. Like that's 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 my answer to games like that. I, I don't know because Pittsburgh is not a potent they're, offense by any stretch. They're giving up an average. Are you ready for this? Have you looked at their defensive statistics? I've seen it, and then there was a tweet from I think Joel A. Erickson yesterday that highlighted just how good they've been in terms of top five in almost every important category. They're allowing, if I'm not mistaken here, an average of like. 200 yards a game. I'm not kidding you. I mean, it's amazing. The 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 stinginess of their defense. First in that, first in yards per play What's at 3.8. What is that? 3.8? 3.8 yards per play. Okay. Uh, 3.4 yards per carry. That's fourth. 79 rushing yards per game. That's fourth. 15 points a game. What are they allowing passing per game? About 121 yards a game. That's so they're first. allowing exactly 200 yards a game yeah. of total offense. Yeah. 200 yards of total offense. I mean, that's impressive. Really impressive. Not exactly, and again, weird things can happen, but not exactly a ringing endorsement in terms of them being one of the top rushing defense in the NFL for a bounce-back performance from the Colts running attack. Now, again, that could change if they decide to give everything to Jonathan Taylor, but at this point... If you're rewatching some of what Jacksonville was able to do defensively, why would you modify it that much if you're Cleveland? Why would you not dare them to beat you through the air? Right. Do you remember when they drafted Denzel Ward fourth? And mm-hmm. you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, they got some peace, man. Do you like, aside from this, you know, everybody has those teams that you're like, yeah, they're okay. The Browns, your thoughts? Yeah, they're okay. Like, I don't, I don't have a. There's no animosity. I don't. I, I don't like hate that little Cleveland. elf, Brownie you, the elf. Brownie yes. the elf. I do like Brownie yeah. the elf. Yeah. No. I, I. They brought him back again. I don't. I aside from the off the field stuff with Deshaun Watson, which is 
very much still a red flag. I was still stunned at what they were willing to give up for a quarterback that was a high risk across the board that he would ever be the same quarterback that he was. Now, if Brownie the mascot got hurt, do you know what he becomes? What's that? Elf on the shelf. There it is. Thank you. And he was at a sneeze or yeah, an applause I'm of the uh, fabulous uh, joke. That was a sneeze. I'm allergic to terrible jokes. Uh, Excuse me. Damn. Well, that's th- that makes sense. That's the first I've heard it. I mean, <laughs> right. That's the first uh, joke that I've heard that I've had to sneeze to. Oof. Do you think it's possible, Jimmy Cook, that Grover Stewart tested positive for a substance banned by the NFL unknowingly? Let me rephrase that. Is it possible that Grover Stewart consumed a product or a substance banned by the NFL and did it unknowingly? I would like to think Grover Stewart did not intentionally take PEDs. So, yes, I will say it's possible. The only thing. Or take a substance that had PEDs in it. I think that as fans and media, we are a little bit jaded about the terms, you know, banned substances, because we go back to like the the hardcore drug testing eras. And so we think like that means that, you know, we think of like Ivan Drago. And the reality is there is a long, long, long list of substances that are banned by the NFL and an agreement with the NFL Players Association that can be found buried inside the ingredients of different supplements and foods. But number one, it is still the athlete's responsibility as stated implicitly in, in all literature to be diligent about what the ingredients are of what they are consuming or, or to simply go off of the list of things that have been approved. And then number two, I, I do think, and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but I think it's interesting that Stewart basically just came out and you know basically said, like, look, I apologize for this, whatever else, and didn't go into an elaborate yeah. explanation or appeal as to what it was or what it may be. Maybe this is an underrated part of the reason people hire private chefs or athletes hire private totally. chefs. Totally. No, Give them everything that's not correct. supposed to that, be in it and let them run. That is exactly correct. Or that or just carry with you a sheet of paper that has the list of everything. And if you go into a place and and what you are about to order is not on that list yep. of, of products, you know, it's $3 million, man. Good tweet here from Steven. All NFL players take PEDs. They just keep it within the limits that are allowed. Grove could have taken a shot a couple days early or passed the test a week before, so he took a little more. As your resident tinfoil hat guy, that's a tinfoil hat comment. <laughs> I mean, okay. people have been saying that for years, the validity of it or not, you know. Steven then, of course, says, is it weird that Watson struggles because he hasn't played for, what, like two years, but people still think Kaepernick can start for a team after seven years? I don't think anybody other than Colin Kaepernick thinks that he can start for a team after seven years. Right? Yeah. Uh, joining us now on the show, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so on that segue, you can read his work not just, of course, at one time it was the Colts. Now it is league-wide because the Athletic looked at Zach Kiefer and said, uh, we need to have this guy writing about all kinds of things. And he joins us now on the program. I think, Zach, this might be the first time that I have talked to you where I have been awake. Is that correct? <laughs> Quite a segue. Um, I think this is my first time on Query and company. I think yeah. I'm making my debut. 
Well, we we appreciate that. And by the way, uh, that's not to say it's because Zach and I, you know, had pillow talk. It's because in the morning show, I was always asleep. Is what I was getting at there. Um, Zach, let's begin with this. The NFL. We were just talking about this in Grover Stewart, and, and we'll start there. Um, you would know you've covered the NFL. To me, the thing that's interesting about Stewart is he 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 gets popped. He's out six games for testing positive for a banned substance. And, and he basically came out and said, look, I'm really sorry about this. Usually, if it was something that was like a, just a, a really bizarre substance that was in a cough syrup they didn't realize when you weren't feeling well, you know, guys will come out and say it. This sounds to me like one of those that there are a lot of finite things that a guy could test for. And, you know, he probably, after the fact, was like, oh, my gosh, I should have thought about that, should have been aware of it, et cetera. I mean, how difficult is it for players, do you think, to keep track of what they can and can't take. Yeah, I think I think it's really hard. I think you kind of nailed it. Like these guys are doing all kinds of stuff to keep their jobs, essentially, right? When you're good at your job, like Grover Stewart, there's another guy that's looking to take it. And if you would have told me yesterday before before this news broke, I think Grover Stewart would have. If you would have told me that there was a cult that was going to be popped for PEDs, he may have been the very last person I said just from my interactions with him over the years. But again, in sports, as we've learned over time, you can't make assumptions on anything. Like, I remember when LeRon Landry was popped for steroids, I want to say in 15, maybe 14 or 15, and we were all like, oh, yeah, like, which week was it? Like, we knew it was coming, right? That guy looked like a cartoon character. With this, it's a little bit different. But again, it happens, and I don't think Grover Stewart intentionally did anything wrong. But again, they're doing all kinds of things and putting all kinds of things in their bodies in terms of nutritional supplements, protein, et cetera. And he put the wrong thing in his body, and he's going to pay. Cause it's going to cost him a, quite a bit of chunk of money. Now, Zach, the other thing is this, and where Grover Stewart is, and we were just talking about this in the break, how does this impact Grover Stewart's long-term viability with the Colts? I personally say if he's producing, it doesn't. But your thoughts? Well, I believe his contract's up after this year. Signed a three-year deal in 2020 when he was playing really well. Um, they love him in the organization. They really value that three-tech right next to Buckner, that one-tech, whatever you want to call him. He kind of plays a little bit of both. Um, that tandem has been sub- maybe the best part of this team over the last five years, and that's not a good thing, right, when you're not getting that from your receivers or your quarterbacks or, or maybe Jonathan Taylor at his peak. But the, the reality is, you know, that has been the most consistent position, the interior of the defensive line, and he's a big part of that. Buckner gets a little bit more headlines, but Grover's been tremendous. Right on the brink of becoming a pro bowler, they're going to have to look at that, and he's going to have to perform when he gets back. Like, there's no way about it, because I think with the news that has come out over the last 24 hours about Anthony Richardson, I think that really changes the viewpoint about what this season is going to be over the next couple months. You know, they're, they're not going to win a lot of games. I, I just don't believe this team's going to win a lot of games with Gardner Mincher moving forward. And everything's going to be about what they do next year to set up to keep Anthony Richardson on his feet a little bit longer and be a little bit more competitive. So they're going to have a higher draft pick because they're going to lose more games. What does the future look like now that you have that quarterback? Jim Mercer's comments this morning at the NFL owners' meetings makes it very clear that they believe they have the guy. Now, they solved that riddle they've been trying to solve since 2019 when Andrew Luck walked out the door. What does the rest of the team look like as you start to build around a quarterback who's going to be on a rookie deal for the next three years? Are you going to be willing to pay 
a one technique, a lot of money. They love Grover Stewart, probably back, but we'll see what the market looks like for a one tech who's, you know, missed six games this year due to a PED suspension, but otherwise doesn't miss a lot of games and makes a lot of plays no one pays attention to. National writer for the Athletic, Zach Kiefer, making his query and company debut here on The Fan. Zach, you mentioned that they feel like they have their quarterback now, and I contend that while it's going to be kind of a do-over rookie season for him, I saw enough to quell the anxiety that was about Anthony Richardson heading into his rookie season this year in terms of what he was able to do in a small sample size. Do you feel the same way nationally in terms of what you were able to see based on the criticism of, oh, look how many games he started in college. He's going to be overwhelmed by the NFL. They should sit him for a year. Do you feel the same way after seeing him in action? I do. I think he answered those questions in the abbreviated time he spent on the field during his rookie year, and that's the unfortunate part. The reality is it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what one person thinks. And Jim Mersey, in very Jim Mersey terms, absolutely believes this is the guy. Now, are they running to that conclusion a little bit quickly? It seems like they might be. Um, but look, the, the thing that I've noticed about Richardson is this. You know, we knew the inconsistencies were going to come. We knew he was going to miss some passes. He was going to make some mistakes. And all that was going to come. He, 13 college starts, right? If you go back to, you know, Peyton Manning played like 45 college games. Luck played like 38 or something. So these guys have... So much more coming in. It's how he handled everything that was in front of him. And there's a quarterback in Carolina, Bryce Young, number one. I think we lost Zach. I think we did. Things were going so well. You start we'll, we'll ta- reconnect with you, him. You start talking about Bryce Young, and all of a sudden, that's right. Frank Reich, people come after Frank Reich's no longer calling plays, so he's making sure the calls drop. Right. <laughs> I mean, he is right, though. It, it's been a very impressive rookie campaign for a lot of different quarterbacks and Richardson stood out at times throughout that albeit in a small sample size Zach you were just talking about highlighting other rookie quarterbacks but Bryce Young is where you were headed yeah I don't know what happened I can hear you guys great now um you know I think the eye test matters a lot and this is going to play out over the next couple years but it just doesn't feel like Bryce Young feels like he's got it yet now it's six games in we'll see what happens there's a long way to go but it really looks like C.J. Stroud gets it. And it, from the minute he stepped on the field, I felt like Anthony Richardson belonged. Nothing was too big for him, and that matters a lot. You can fix all the other stuff, and I really do think they've got a really sharp coach offensively and Shane Steichen that will be guiding him. I think they've answered the quarterback question moving forward. It's how they build around him, which is the next step. But really, at least the beat writers and Indy don't have to write about who the quarterback is going to be next year because that's been a cycle that's been exhausting for the last couple of years. Zach, you spent quite a bit of time on this beat, and you got to know Chris Ballard pretty well. I also mentioned earlier in the show that I think next offseason should be built around doing what Jacksonville did for Trevor Lawrence after his rookie year, which is acquiring whatever weapons you think possible and what you deem necessary to help his growth. Do you think that as a front office, they have the capability to address that mindset for key skill positions? That's a really good point, Jimmy, and I agree with you completely. I actually wrote about that a lot this offseason. I wrote a big profile on Christian Kirk, who was one of those pieces they brought in, and I wrote about Trevor Lawrence himself and how late in his rookie year, that dude didn't even want to leave the house. Remember, this was the Urban Meyer debacle. They won three games. They were the laughing stock of the league, and this is a guy that had lost four games total 
in high school and college. So he wasn't used to this. And what they did in Jacksonville is really interesting and I think really instructive. What they did, they didn't just spend money. They overpaid in a lot of ways for a lot of guys. They went out and brought Brandon Scherf in, and they paid him a ton of money and tiered the offensive line. And then they go out and buy Christian Kirk, and everybody across the league says he's overpaid. And in talking to people in Jacksonville, they said, yeah, everyone said he was overpaid. We were fine with that because we were going to pay for character. So in their view, what they wanted to build around Trevor Lawrence, they wanted to have the veterans around him that were going to make him better, not just on the field, but off it and as he grows into that leadership franchise quarterback type situation. And so I think that's kind of what the model should be for the Colts moving forward. Like everyone has these dreams of Marvin Harrison Jr. And if you can get him, go get him. He's that freaking good. But I think you need to look for the right type of free agents and the guys you can add around a young quarterback that are going to help him grow. I love Josh Downs. You've got the rookie. You know, Pittman's been here and he's played for 50 different quarterbacks in five years. But look for not just the best free agents, look for the right free agents. And the Colts haven't really done that. They've been a little bit too selective, in my opinion, on who they're bringing in. Abu Kham has been great on defense. But I think it's time, if you know you have the guy, to, to go out and pay a little bit more for the right type of free agents, the guys that are going to help really form the backbone of what this team's going to look like the next couple of years. Because and Jim Irsay knows this, and Chris Ballard knows this, even if they won't say it publicly. Irsay will. Ballard won't. Everything is about what you do to help number five moving forward. Everything is about what you do to surround Anthony Richardson the next couple of years. And my former colleague, Stephen Holder, made a really good point this morning. In the back of their minds are the mistakes they made the last time they had a franchise quarterback. Everybody knows what happens. Now, it wasn't solely on the organization. But the Andrew Luck situation is still very much in the back of Jim Irsay's mind, and they're determined not to make the same mistakes and overlook the offensive line and overlook the talent around him because it cost him big in that situation, and it cannot cost them again because that would just be devastating. Zach, I said earlier, Zach Kiefer's our guest from The Athletic. At the top of the show, what I was saying was if you were looking at silver linings of Anthony, I mean, it's hard to say a silver lining of a guy being shelved for the year, but maybe this organically forces the Colts to slow down a little bit and be, to your point, more careful in free agency and not do the Andrew Luck. I thought in Andrew Luck, in hindsight, the area where they aired, Zach, was that Andrew Luck was so good as a rookie that they accelerated the timeline and they didn't really allow other seeds to organically grow around him and they thought they could just patchwork it and they missed on the guys that they went out you know the Gosder Sherrillises and the Ricky Jean Francois and the yeah. Andre Johnsons and the Frank Gores you know they missed on getting too aggressive too early maybe this forces them to be patient like for example and I wanted to get to this because you wrote a really good column about it if you look at Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville you know when they went out and they got Christian Kirk people were like wait what they, they overpaid for that guy but he was a critical piece in allowing just the kind of stabilization of Trevor Lawrence. Is there blueprint? And you spent time around Trevor Lawrence, so I wanted you to shed light on what kind of guy he seems to be and how maybe there's anything that you can learn from the way Jacksonville has dealt with and groomed him that Indianapolis can take. Yeah, I think you're right about the mistakes of that last regime. We don't need to rehash it all because it's in the past, but they won too quickly. They won too Correct. fast in 2012. And Andrew was so freaking talented, and T.Y. as well, but Andrew mainly just expedited that rebuild, right? They were gutted after Peyton left because it wasn't just Peyton that left. 
Jeff Saturday was out the door, Dallas Clark, et cetera. And Andrew was so talented that he covered up all those holes that you started to see after he got hurt. We don't need to relive that. But to shift it to Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck have so many similarities. They love football. They're really freaking good at it. It does not define their entire existence. But what Jacksonville did was so fascinating because I'll go back to last year. This team is 4-8, and eight and they're struggling. And they go to Christian Kirk's house after a game. He calls his quarterback into, the, into that room, and he says, look, you need to be more demanding. Like, you need to tell the offensive coordinator what you want, and you need to be more demanding with teammates. And so there's little moments like that where the veteran receiver comes in, becomes best friends with the young quarterback, and kind of shows them how to do it. Because coaches will tell you, any good coach will tell you, the best teams are run by the players. The best players take command. And again, this is Jacksonville, where by December every year, the entire fan base is usually checked out. Last year, they won like 9 of 10 to finish the season, and they won a playoff game and all that. So it's, it's not something you see on social media, right? They overpaid Christian Kirk. Or they can't believe they're paying this guy. Look at his stats. Like, there's so much more to it than that. There's so much nuance and context that goes into football that we don't see on social media. Um, and that's kind of what the Colts have to keep in mind. It's not just finding guys. It's finding the right guys. And that can pay off down the road. But like you said, Jake, you, you nailed it. Like, they won too fast, and that came back to bite them. And I think that's fresh in Jim Mercer's mind because they'll never really get over the fact that they didn't get more out of 12. They didn't get a full career because they moved on from 18 to go to 12. But um, I think this is the right move for Anthony Richardson. And, and the shame of it is, you know, if you want to look at the good side, the good side is they're making the right move. He's going to get fully healed, and he's going to be back for next year. They've learned their lessons in terms of, expediting a quarterback's injury and seeing if he can just play through it. The good news, if you want to call it that, is I think they were, they were winning too much this year. If they're going to get that top five draft pick and go get a really, really good game-changing player, I felt like this team with Richardson and then maybe a little Minshew was going to win six, seven, eight, nine games. I mean, they were competitive. Steichen's good. Zaire Franklin and the defense were balling out. Now everything changes. Teams are going to game plan for Minshew. I mean, that Germany game against the Patriots, that's going to be a hard watch. Everything changes with Richardson out. It's a shame he doesn't get to play. But like you said, this might have a payoff that's hard to see now and three or four years down the line. When you look, speaking of three or four years down the line, I'm going to go back to your comments about Trevor Lawrence. And because, Zach, I think it has – Zach Keefer, our guest from The Athletic, I think it has implication, obviously, with the Colts. When Trevor Lawrence was in college, I probably told you, anybody else, I'm like, this guy has Peyton Manning-level look about him, his size, his accuracy, his intelligence. Um, and I was worried from the Colts' standpoint that he could get Jacksonville to stranglehold the AFC South like the Peyton Manning-era Colts had. Do we have enough evidence to say that Indianapolis is in a division where, in fact, Lawrence and the Jags can do exactly that, or is it more balanced than we thought? I don't know if we'll ever see, gosh, what's the stat? They won, the Colts won like 20 in a row, 20 division games in a row over several years. Right. Early in Ryan Grigson's tenure. And then with Manning, you know, they, they just completely owned the division for a long time. I'm not ready to go there that far. Um, CJ Stroud looks really good. And D'Amico Ryans has been terrific in, in Houston. And they just whooped the Jags a couple of weeks ago. But I feel like Trevor Lawrence, and I got to talk to him for a while, and we spent some time together. You know, he wears number 16. He wore number 16 because of Peyton Manning. But his personality is much more like Andrew Luck in terms of just how he approaches the game. 
but he's a real dude. Like he's the kind of guy, like the teammates. He, he's he's authentic. He's about the real stuff, and this is what separates the quarterbacks that are good and the ones that are really great and last 12 years for the team. Like Jalen Hurts has this. He's about the real stuff. He doesn't care about all the nonsense surrounding the position. He's about being there for his teammates. He's played through injury. He might do that again Thursday night. Um, I don't think they're going to have a Manning or Luck-type stranglehold on the division because D'Amico Ryan looks really good, and I think Shane Stockton is really sharp. The other team, I'm not sure about the quarterback in Tennessee. I just don't know about Will Levis. We haven't seen Malik Willis, whoever it's going to be down there after Tannehill's done. Um, but I think they're the team to beat. They have a Super Bowl-winning head coach in Jacksonville. And like you said, they went out and they spent a lot of money in free agency to bolster that roster, and it paid off in a big way last year. And this was the quote from Jim Irsay, the day the Jaguars took Trevor Lawrence first overall. He said, I'm going to have to deal with Trevor Lawrence for 10 to 15 years. Like, my luck. Like, he knows that he had Peyton Manning for a long time and Andrew Luck for a couple years, and he knows that everybody was looking up to them in the division. And it feels like that has tilted because he knows how talented Trevor Lawrence is. And the Jaguars are just simply not going anywhere. Zach, what's been your favorite thing about shifting from being, you know, specifically a Colts writer to now being a feature writer league and nationwide? Getting out of the bubble, if that makes sense. Um, Look, I love covering the Colts. I love the people over there in the building. I love getting to know a lot of the players and sort of telling that team's story. But there's a lot of days where you're just kind of stuck telling whatever happens, right? And so it's, if it's good, it's fun to write about. If it's bad, you write about it. But in this new job, I get to branch out and tell stories that take six to eight weeks to report. You get to talk to people you'd never usually get to talk to, which is maybe my favorite thing in the business. Um, I get to hear stories that I would never otherwise hear. And I get to see how the other half, you know, the other teams in the league are doing things. You know, I went down to Miami and spent time with them. And it, Josh, you know, Mike McDaniel and Tua are – especially Mike McDaniel, like just so refreshing to talk to them, such a different personality, the way they see the game. That's fun to cover, fun to write about. Um, got a lot in the can right now that I'm working on that just take a little bit longer. Um, on the road to Germany in a couple weeks to go watch Chiefs Dolphins. That's going to be a great game to cover. Um, so it's been fun to sort of see the rest of the league, see how it works um, and talk to the people that are having a lot of success in a lot of different ways. Zach, if you were – Zach Kiefer from The Athletic is our guest. When you write features on people, a lot of times as a feature writer, you know, you go in and and you, you find a moment for that person that tells their story or a moment that makes them different or something that's symbolic that's hanging on their wall, et cetera. If someone were writing the story of the last year of Zach Kiefer, what, what is the moment – that you realized yourself that you were living inside of a story and that you thought, I'm sitting at this table with this person or I'm in this location at this moment, and this, in fact, is the story of Zach Kiefer. What is it? That is a fantastic question. Um, And that is what you do. You kind of look for moments and scenes. I always tell my students at IU, look for the scene that can tell the story better than a quote. Um, I don't know if this answers it, but I've got a good one for you. Um, last year was hard on everybody who covered the Colts. Let's just be honest, right? It was just a soap opera. And I had the opportunity to jump to this position that I've been now, right? National features writer. It was on the table. 
And I said, I'm going to finish out the season. And I was in New Jersey on New Year's Eve. And I was driving to meet Joel Erickson for dinner because we were there to cover the Colts Giants the next day. And my rental car had a flat tire. And I'm on the New Jersey Turnpike. And it's pouring down rain. And I'm trying to change this tire to watch the Colts go to, you know, New York the next day and just get bloody. I mean, they lost, they lost by like 30 points. I don't even think they got a first down. It was just one of those games. It's like, why am I flying out to watch this train wreck? Anybody out there listening remembers that game. It was just never close. And I'm just like, I think it's time. Like, I just, you feel a loyalty to the job. Like, you feel like you want to keep going and you build all these connections and these contacts within the Colts. And, you know, I covered them since Andrew's career and I wanted to see the next step. But, in that moment, I said to myself, I think it's time. I think it's time to move on. So I decided I wouldn't leave my beat partner, James Boyd, hanging. Um, I would help him at least through the NFL draft. They drafted the quarterback. That felt like a good time to take the next leap. But um, I had already kind of made up my mind. But when I'm it literally changing a tire in the pouring rain in the New, Jer- New Jersey turnpike, getting honked at, that's kind of when it solidified, like, it's time to move on. Zach, I did want to ask you about one national piece that came out yesterday. Of course, congratulations on, I mean, I know we talked to you a little bit during the summer when the move happened, but congrats on the national beat roll. So I'll I'll put this on your desk as it came across the wire yesterday. What changes big picture in terms of the hiring process for coaches with the NFL voting unanimously to move the ability for teams to talk with employed personnel until after the divisional round of the playoffs? Yeah. It, it, it just simplifies it a little bit. It's going to be a little bit longer of a process, but this really comes about because of the Jonathan Gannon situation last year. Remember, the Colts were trying to hire an Eagles coordinator, which they did in Shane Steichen, and the Cardinals eventually did the same thing, which they did in Jonathan Gannon. The reason the Colts could interview Jonathan Gannon and talk to him after the NFC Championship game is because they had already interviewed him one time. The Cardinals could not because they hadn't interviewed him one time. And so that call that was right after the NFC Championship game between the Cardinals' new GM and Jonathan Gannon to say, hey, congratulations, by the way, are you interested in our job, was tampering, was illegal, and that cost them the draft pick a couple months later. So it's going to shake things out a little bit. Um, I do think the hiring cycle is going to be a little bit different now. But, you know, there's all, all these rules these teams have to follow. And the hardest part, and I think that what they're trying to address is that not every team is in the same situation. Like, right? Like, the Cardinals were the only team last year to go hire a new GM first. And then they do the coaching search. So they're a little bit behind. And they're also hosting the Super Bowl. And the Eagles, who were probably ticked about this because they got a coach getting ready for the Super Bowl who knows he's going to have an interview for a head coaching job the day after. I just think that's too late. That's just too late. And so Eagles fans are mad because, you know, was he distracted before the biggest game of the season? It's human nature maybe maybe a little bit he says no i i sat down i sit down with jonathan gannon in august but um the reality is it should at least simplify that process and not make it so difficult to understand because every team is going to be in a different spot in that hiring cycle but we'll see because it's the nfl and it, they never keep it boring for us zach when you had that flat tire on the new jersey turnpike you had two choices 
one is you could get a can of that fix-a-flat that you put inside of the tire, and then the tire is kind of good as new, but it's really dangerous. It can combust at any time, and then you got a real <laughs> mess on your hands. And the other is you could put on one of those little donut tires that might have gotten you to, like, Hoboken, and then at that point they're like, yeah, you pretty much got as far as you could. Now you got to buy a new tire. Which which option is Gardner Minshew? Is he fix-a-flat? Looks pretty good, but it's going to combust at any time? Or is he a donut tire? Gets you three games, but beyond that, you're going to start feeling the wear. Probably the latter. Probably the donut tire. Now, I, if you haven't lived until you've changed the tire in, in the MetLife Stadium parking lot, which I did after that game on New Year's Day where they lost by 30 points and uh, <laughs> whoever was playing quarterback. Anyway, blocked out of my mind. Gardner Minshew is, is everything you want in a backup quarterback. But like the great Mike Chappell says, the more you see these guys play, the more you see why they're a backup, right? That's what's going to happen, right? Gardner Minshew is great when he comes in, when Anthony Richardson spots him a 14-point lead in Houston and he can finish the game. And he was great against Tennessee a couple weeks ago when Anthony Richardson went out, was it late first quarter, early second quarter, and Minshew played well enough for them to deliver the win. But his worst two starts of the season were the win in Baltimore. He didn't play well that week when they knew he was going to play because of the concussion. And then last week, right? Like So I think the more you see of him, the more you're going to see why he isn't a franchise guy. He's a great backup. I think you keep him next year because, obviously, if, if this year is any lesson, you need to sure. you need to have that guy around. Um, but I, I just temp, temper your hopes with Gardner Minshew. This, is, this team – I don't see this team making a run with him at quarterback. Lastly, the next story you're working on that we can read at The Athletic is what? Well, I've got like six in the works right now. Uh, Which one do you want? Um, I am going down to Houston in a couple weeks to talk to the potential rookie of the year and C.J. Stroud. It seems like, you know, Anthony Richardson was going to maybe make a run for it, but it seems like that's C.J. Stroud's award to lose. Um Really interesting, like, draft process for him. Remember all the rumors about him being really bad at those tests and skipping out on the Manning Passing Academy? Um, he's balling out in Houston. They're changing things in Houston right now. And so I'm going to spend some time with C.J. Stroud and write about him. Do, do you want me to um, send you a, a little guide or a map on how to get into the Astrodome? <laughs> Wait, have you got in there? I didn't I didn't know the story, Jake. I've only heard it like 12 times. It's the best. It's the greatest story of that's that's my moment. That's my athletic moment. It was when I broke into the Astrodome. Yeah, that's 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 the that's so like if I'm profiling Jake Query, the story starts out inside well, of the Astrodome, correct? Truth be told, well, now, here's the other thing. Note, we could start that one anywhere. The other one would be the night that I went to El Coyote, which was the restaurant where Sharon Tate and her group went for dinner the night of the Manson murders, um, the last night. And, and when I went to El Coyote, and when I was in L.A. before I go to Cielo Drive every year, uh, they seated me at the same table that she had. So that that would be, it's one of the two. You take your pick. The Jake Query profile, it would six or 7,000 words. There's a lot in there. <laughs> uh-huh. Probably also wanted by the FBI, too. They would want to read it afterwards. There's probably some truth no, to that. That's, all I want is interesting, man. All I want is interesting. That's right. Um, all right, so you got C.J. Stroud, who I, you're right. He's off to a fine start, He's a, and, and I loved him. At a, I don't like Ohio State, and that's why I didn't like C.J. Stroud because that dude could flat yeah. out – I mean, he was a laser-focused thrower, man. I, I loved C.J. Stroud's game. Yeah, I mean, it was. What was the quote? And, and I did a lot of research on him. I went to his pro day in the spring, and he, he looked at the cameras and he said, "I am a ball placement specialist." And I was like, "Whoa, you better back that up if you make that quote." And so far, he he is just 
ruthlessly accurate. I mean, it's just it's been fun to watch. And D'Amico Ryan has that team playing, like a team that was really asleep for a couple of years, churning through first-year coaches. Um, they've been they've been terrific. But yeah, I'll be in Germany again for Dolphins Chiefs, which should be a really good game. And then I've got some some other stories and um, the '80s Chargers. Man, I could I could talk your ear off about that team. I'm writing about that team. As Dan well. Fouts, baby, Eric Coriel. I talked to him last week. Hell yeah, hell yeah. He's Tell the- him John Jefferson. Kellen Winslow yep. was West Chandler yep. with them. Charlie I always Joyner, get West Chandler. Charlie, yeah, yep. hell yeah, Chuck Muncie, yep. big fan. Yep, maybe rest in peace. Yep, yep. You'll enjoy this one, Jake. It's it's wild. Love it, love it. Zach, looking forward to following along. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Z Kiefer, national writer for the Athletic. Great debut. Looking forward to having you on again down the road, Zach. Anytime. Thanks, guys. I'll tell you, those Chargers teams, man. That game, you feel bad for them because they win that game down in the Orange Bowl to go to the AFC Championship game, and that was the game where Kellen Winslow, the famous photo of him, basically dehydrated because it was like 900 degrees. And then literally six days later, they're playing in 20 degrees below zero temperatures at Riverfront. It's like... <laughs> but that, that team... That was, of my childhood, the, the Don Coriel Chargers are undoubtedly the best group and the best team to have not gotten to the Super Bowl. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hand it over to John here in 25 minutes. Before we do that, uh, this on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Now, this is, I know yesterday I said that I bought a a limited package on the Elixir uh, interpreter the English Elixir interpretation machine, the translator. But we have a the translator, the package that I bought, not only can it translate things, but it also, we if we read it a quote, it can tell us if the quote is is a true statement or like a fact or fiction statement. So we statement. had a software update overnight, right? Well, I, I, I didn't mean, tell you that I bought, we, we know that there's going to be updates. Right, of course, right? And I so I updated, it took a while. But I'm going to read a quote from Jim Ursay that is from Jory Epstein of Yahoo. I'm going to read the quote. We'll put it into the translator, and the translator then will tell us whether the quote is accurate or not. Because Ursay's making essentially a prediction here, okay? So you let me know when – because it takes a while to warm up the translator. Do we have the translator, the elixir ready? Okay. So I will read the quote. We'll put it – and then we will – you hit go. And the machine then will translate whether or not the quote is factual and accurate. Okay? All right. Quote. This is from Jim Ursa. Quote. Let me know when you're recording so we can put it in the translator, Eddie. Okay. Quote. Like John Lando said about Bruce Springsteen back in 1974 – I've seen the future of rock and roll, and his name is Bruce Springsteen. Well, I've seen the future of the NFL, and his name is Anthony Richardson. And I believe it. Okay. So we already have, it's going to measure the fact or fiction and analyze the statement from Jim Irsay about Anthony Richardson, which is good. Here, uh, here we go. Are we ready for the elixir to spit it out? Okay. This is from Jim Irsay. You bought the English Elixir Translator. Please upgrade to the Hunter S. Thompson Experience Package. Oh, okay, well. Okay. Come on. Well, we'll find we, out later, we, I guess. We, we, Such we, a tease. We didn't have the foresight to upgrade here. We, we couldn't have seen that Jim Irsay might complicate I, I the had English to, Elixir. I had to buy this on a whim. Yeah. I didn't have. I didn't run it past petty cash, right? What I bought are we the, doing here, Jake? <laughs> I bought the base model. 
Maybe I'm not one of these guys that waits in line for the iPhone 15 for four and a half hours. I had an appointment when I, when I know that I can buy it, it three months minutes. later for for forty percent off. Right? I'm not exactly sure what we were doing there. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm just saying. I would like to think, though, with all the pub that we're giving the English elixir, that eventually we might be first in line for big upgrades like that. That's right. Well, don't yeah. snap it. By the way, we also we need to commemorate before we leave today an anniversary. If you're just joining us today, where have you been? We, we talked earlier off the top of the show that, of course, Jim Irsay announcing at uh, 11.30-ish this morning that Anthony Richardson is out for the year. They're going to have the surgery on the shoulder. He is out for the year and that this was the best long-term plan for him. Probably true. Not not fun right now, but probably long-term the best situation and the best scenario, best option. Now, also Grover Stewart, we know, is going to miss six weeks after being yesterday, just after we got off the air, popped for a substance abuse positive test. Uh, substance abuse, I'm sorry, performance enhancing. Yes. Big difference. Performance enhancing positive test. I want to go back, and I understand this is who he is, but I want to go back to the Jim Mercer quote for just a second. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen the future of the NFL, and his name is Anthony Richardson. And I understand the answer is, well, that's because it's who Jim Irsay is. But why is there no middle ground? Why can't it be he is our franchise quarterback? We believe in him. Why do the expectations have to be set that he is going to... Like, you could infer from that, if I'm doing my uh, bootlegged pirate uh, elixir uh, patent-pending product over here, you could infer from that he is envisioning Anthony Richardson transforming the NFL in the way Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, right. other well, greats transform the NBA. And maybe he will, but why does that have to be the bar? Yeah, I mean... I don't disagree. He's putting a lot of pressure on the kid, for sure. But he's also paying him a lot of money, right? Well, not yet. Rookie contract. I mean, he's paying him a lot of he money. He is, but... I mean... He's still getting like $28 million. I, I'm not saying it's chump change, right? We get lost in that player money versus like real-world money. But it, by and large, it's still a rookie deal. I believe in celebrating... The silver lining in things, right? Yes. The silver lining in the Anthony Richardson thing for right now would be the fact that this forces the Colts to kind of be patient with him and not, as we talked about with Zach, accelerate the timeline. Okay? Now, the silver lining, if you're a Colts fan, is that, yes, we are in day one of Anthony Richardson on the shelf, but we are celebrating an anniversary, right? We are indeed. This franchise has had ups and downs and and peaks and valleys, and as a fan, there have been fabulous times. In in Indianapolis, in the recent memory, more good times than bad, for sure. But believe me, I mean, I remember the, you know, Blaze Winter Kroger poster days that became paper airplanes, and I remember, you know, Zoop deadlifting tractors out front to try to sell tickets and avoid blackouts and all of those things. And then Peyton Manning comes, and we know the history of the franchise and the fortunes turn around stadium built, etc. And then you have moments of greatness. Moments that define... Uh, Pittsburgh is defined by the Immaculate Reception. <laughs> right? Yes. Cincinnati is defined by like Pete Rose's 4,256th hit. Right? Actually, at that point, it was 4,192 to pass Ty Cobb. Right? Cities are defined by great sports moments. San Francisco is defined by the catch from, from Dwight Clark, right? Eight years ago today, 
We celebrate today the greatness of the greatest play in the history of the National Football League that took place right here in our fair city. Now we've got, on a fourth down and three, you got Griff Whalen ready to take the snap. He'll snap it. Actually, Colt Anderson is behind him. And what in the world? We don't know, Al. Flag is down. You tell Illegal me. formation. The whole right side of the line was not on the line of scrimmage. <laughs> Offense. This penalty is declined. Tried to sneak it. There were three, four, okay. five guys hey, around If Al Michaels players. saw that today... On Thursday night football, oh, he hadn't right seen there. it before he'd right leave. Yeah, he yeah, would yeah. leave. They and be almost done. they almost got him to quit anyway with that Denver debacle. Now, <laughs> the the good news is Bob Lamey, the voice of the Colts at the time, found the silver lining. It like me, Bob Lamey, eternal optimist. Bob Lamey, right? We know this. He he saw the silver lining when the flag was down. Of wait a minute, we did nothing wrong. Here we go. This is a new formation. It looks like yeah, the say. Colts are now getting everybody to shift for the Patriots. Uh-huh. They don't know what they're doing here. Colt Anderson is under center. Neither do the Colts. Colt Anderson waiting for the snap or no? He took the snap and got buried. I'm not sure what that was all about because that has just given New England great field position. Uh There was a delay of game. Let's hope. My favorite part right here. Don't snap it. (laughs) Delay of game. Illegal formation. The whole right side of the line was not on the line of scrimmage. (laughs) Offense. This penalty is declined. The result of the play is first down for New England. Wow. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what we were doing there. Jim, Georgie. Jim, we're still not, right? By the way. No, God. No, God. Please, no. No. Best. I did a search. I was trying to figure out what's a better word because anniversary sounds too happy. Well, I, I have, Is remembrance Jimmy, too. I, I have always said that. Kidding aside, I'm glad you said that, honestly. When bad things happen, anniversary is not the word to use. Well, this is great. It's a reunion. It's the greatest player. It's the greatest play in the history of the NFL. But you mean big big picture, though. No, no, no. No, no. We celebrate that. Are you kidding me? That was the most brilliant, the greatest play in the history of the NFL. I thought you were about to take us down a serious path. Yes, no. Greatest play ever. I agree with you. It is... I really do wish there is a word that could be created in the English language. Remembrance is probably a, a better one. But like when someone passes away and people are like, it's the anniversary of Bill's passing. To me, I agree with you. An anniversary is something that you look upon as a fond memory in which you are trying to reawaken the happiness that existed within it. Like, for example, the entire right side of the line being offsides. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day focused on the ALCS as the Astros try to avoid a 3-0 hole. I think they will avoid it. Get them at plus money, plus 110 as they go into Texas. The series shifts to the Rangers' home grounds. In that same game, Eddie, we're riding the train once again. I'll take over half a run. That's right. Yes, run in the first inning for 
either Houston or Texas in that game. Eddie, What's the any total? For you? What's the total? No, uh, I don't the have my total Apple is open. nine. Nine? Take the over here. Javier has struggled this year. I think Texas will be able to put up a big number at home. And plus, I don't like Max Scherzer. He hasn't pitched since September yeah, 12th. That bullpen's going to have to get ready, and they've yep. struggled at home this year. What would you say? Have you met him? I uh, met him, but I don't like him in terms of <laughs> okay. the matchup tonight. But, okay. yeah, I like the over nine. If not now, when for Houston? 3-0 hole. I mean, I, it's curtains. Got to oh, win tonight. No, it's over. Probably it's is. Over. But yes, it's over. Who's the pitching matchup? Charlie Huff and Vern Rule? That'd be awesome. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Mike Scott going out on the mound. Yeah. <laughs> I hated Mike Scott. Big game from Kevin finger. Bass exploded. <laughs> Who was the first guy to ever you ever remember that threw what they described as a split-fingered fastball? Boy. Who was the spaceman? Bill Lee. There you go. You know what? I, I <laughs> What did Nolan Ryan throw? Oh. Is that not I mean The first time I ever remember anybody ever being referenced as throwing a split-fingered fastball was Bruce Suter out of the Yeah, bullpen. okay. Yeah. That was it. Um Yeah. And, and okay, do you think of Suter as a Cardinal or a Cub? Um, well, I hate the Cardinals, so probably Cubs. More See, I, winning. I, I, you know, obviously won a World Series with the Cardinals. I mean, I think of him bad. as a Cardinal, even though, you know. With Tom Hur and his blonde <laughs> perm. I, I'm Ugh. with you. on Now, you know, God. I'll tell you the Cardinal from that era. You had to era, work there, too. I bet that sucked. Oh, man, it was. Good Lord. You know what? I, I mean, it was a fun franchise to cover because of the history of it. But I'll tell yeah. you the guy that was a beloved figure from those groups that would surprise you. Let me think. Lonnie Smith. Lonnie Smith, the only member of the 82 cards to hit 300 for the year. And but that's not it. Though. He also was the go-to guy for cocaine at one point he in time. Went, no question. <laughs> Trust me. There was, there was a line from he to Keith Hernandez, and it was not the first baseline, right? Uh, actually, Willie McGee was the guy that still is a beloved figure. Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. Willie, Willie McGee. And Willie. Willie McGee, like when he would walk up to the batter's box, like he, he – I don't, he had a very weird stance. That's a, very I thought weird, it was a whatever. cool walk. I wish I always wanted to have a. He looked. It was more a like a penguin like strut, that. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think he did wind the bat. Willie Stargell. Yeah. I remember Willie Stargell doing yeah. the. I mean, that's obviously the Pirates, not the Cardinals. But um, so anyway, obviously that's the voice of JMV. You are up next. I assume the Richardson news going to be a big topic of conversation. Then Grover Stewart very happened yesterday while you were on. Very the exciting. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's always something with this group, isn't it? it I think is, it's never. Yeah. At some point, not going to be about this, and it's going to be about like some consistent winning, or will I be dead by then? How long are you planning I mean, to live? I don't, I don't know, Jimmy. That's a good point. I have ten years? Am I going? If I make ten, ten if I make ten more years, I plan on getting I make ten, ten more years, years out of this. I don't even think they'll win the division in ten more years. <laughs> ten years, he plans. Just all it, it is always something. Don't set the bar so high for yourself, <laughs> John. All those big ten reds you used to drink. That's right. Hmm? It's all the big red soda you <laughs> yeah, used to drink, yeah, starting yeah. to rear its ugly head, right? <laughs> Ten more years, I was thinking. You know, obviously, Jim Mersey is under the belief <laughs> that this is going to give them longer-term stability with Anthony Richardson, I, and maybe they do they get don't the know, 10 years, right? None of us know jack squad about anything. Right. Seriously. You're right. And, and in, the, in comparison with Andrew Luck, the only reason you look at Andrew Luck differently is because you know he quit and had the worst timing ever, and because... We describe him as reckless. All right? So this is what Richardson does, and he basically does a lot of what Luck did to get injured. 
You know, you're going to be taking on. Well, you know, he's going to have to back away. But he learned how to slide, John. Back away from, I mean, you, you got to have your fingers crossed on this. I mean, the, the only thing, you, you look at Houston, and Houston, as we sit here right now, looks like that they – were the ones that had this figured out. Get a pocket passing guy. I like and Stroud, he man. Has look, look I like good him. so far. I, I mean, I don't know. There's still a long way to go for everybody, but none of us know anything about this. Uh, Jimmy, tomorrow you are in with Brian, right? Brian knows back right. in the saddle. I'll yep. be off the next two days. Back on Monday, we'll be talking a lot about the Browns then, but you guys got a lot to talk about before then, including you, John. So have fun next. All right. Yeah, you too. All right. JMV's up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back. They will be at noon tomorrow. Today's plays of the day, folks. Focused on the ALCS as the Astros try to avoid a 3-0 hole. I think they will avoid it. Get them at plus money, plus 110 as they go into Texas. The series shifts to the Rangers' home grounds. In that same game, Eddie, we're riding the train once again. I'll take over half a run. That's right. Yes, run in the first inning for either Houston or Texas in that game. Eddie, What's any bets total? for you? What's the total? No, uh, I don't the have my total is open. nine. Nine? Take the over here. Javier has struggled this year. I think Texas will be able to put up a big number at home. And plus, I don't like Max Scherzer. He hasn't pitched since September yeah, 12th. That bullpen's going to have to get ready, and they've yep. struggled at home this year. What'd you say? Have you met him? I met him, but I don't like him in terms of <laughs> okay. the matchup tonight. But okay. yeah, I like the over nine. If not now, when for Houston? 3 a hole, I mean... I, it's curtains. Got to oh, win tonight. No, it's over. Probably it's is. Over. But yes, it's over. Who's the pitching matchup? Charlie Huff and Vern Rule. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Mike Scott going out on the mound. Yeah, <laughs> I hated Mike. Big game from Kevin finger. Bass exploded. <laughs> Who was the first guy to ever you ever remember that threw what they described as a split fingered fastball? Boy, who was the spaceman? Bill Lee. There you go. You know what? I, I what did Nolan Ryan throw? Oh, is that not? I mean, the first time I ever remember anybody ever being referenced as throwing a split fingered fastball was Bruce Souter out of the yeah. Bullpen. Okay, yeah, that was it. Um, yeah, and, and okay. Do you think of Souter as a Cardinal or a Cub? Um, well, I hate the Cardinals, so probably Cubs. More See, I, winning, I, I, you know. Obviously, won a World Series with the Cardinals. I mean, I think of him bad. as a Cardinal, even though you know with Tom Hur and his. Blonde <laughs> perm. I, I'm Ugh. with you on now. You know, God. I'll tell you the cardinal from that. You had to era, work there too. I bet that sucked. Oh man, it was good lord. You know what? I, I mean, it was a fun franchise to cover because of the history of it. But I'll tell yeah. you the guy that was a beloved figure from those groups that would surprise you. Let me think. Lonnie Smith. Lonnie Smith, the only member of the '82 cards to hit 300 for the year. And but that's not it. Though. He also was the go-to guy for cocaine at one point. He in time. Was, no question. <laughs> Trust me, there was there was a line from he to Keith Hernandez, and it was not the first base line, right? Uh, actually, Willie McGee was the guy that still is a beloved figure. Oh, you know, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Willie Willie McGee. And Willie. Willie McGee, like when he would walk up to the batter's box, like he he. I don't, he had a very weird stance. That's a, very I thought weird, it was a whatever. cool walk. I wish I always wanted to have a. He looked. It was more a like a penguin like strut, that. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think he did wind the bat. Willie Stargell. Yeah. I remember Willie Stargell doing yeah. the. I mean, that's obviously the Pirates, not the Cardinals. But um, so anyway, obviously that's the voice of JMV. You are up next. I assume the Richardson news going to be a big topic of conversation. Then Grover Stewart very happened yesterday while you were on. Very the exciting. Yeah, yeah. So it's always something with this group, isn't it? it I think is, it's man. never. At some point, not going to be about this, and it's going to be about like some consistent winning, or will I be dead by then? How long are you planning I mean, to live? 
I don't, I don't know, Jimmy. That's a good point. Ten years? Am I going? If I make ten, ten if I make ten more years, I plan on getting I make ten, ten more years, years out of this. I don't even think they'll win the division in ten more years. <laughs> ten years, he plans. Just all. It, it is always something. Don't set the bar so high for yourself, <laughs> John. From all those big ten reds you used to drink. That's right. Hmm? It's all the big red soda you <laughs> yeah, used to drink yeah, starting yeah. to rear its ugly head, right? <laughs> Ten more years, I was thinking. You know, obviously, Jim Mersey is under the belief that this is going to give them longer-term stability with Anthony Richardson, I, and maybe they do they get don't the know, 10 years, right? None of us know jack squad about anything. Right. Seriously. You're right. And, and in, the, in comparison with Andrew Luck, the only reason you look at Andrew Luck differently is because you know he quit and had the worst timing ever, and because... We describe him as reckless. All right? So this is what Richardson does, and he basically does a lot of what Luck did to get injured. You know, you're going to be taking on – well, you know, he's going to have to back away. But he learned how to slide, John. Back away from, I mean, you got to have your fingers crossed on this. I mean, the only thing – you look at Houston, and Houston, as we sit here right now, looks like that they – were the ones that had this figured out. Get a pocket passing guy. I like and Stroud, he man. Has looked, looked I like good him. so far. I, I mean, I don't know. There's still a long way to go for everybody, but none of us know anything about this. Uh, Jimmy, tomorrow you are in with Brian, right? Brian knows back All in right. the saddle. I'll yep. be off the next two days. Back on Monday, we'll be talking a lot about the Browns then, but you guys got a lot to talk about before then, including you, John. So have fun next. All right. Yeah, you too. All right. JMV's up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back. They will be at noon tomorrow.